Hey, welcome to episode 137 of the Collector's Quest podcast. In this episode, we got kind of a grab bag. We're talking about why the Dreamcast failed. We're talking about what it would take for us to sell all of our video games. We're talking about the future of what we think's happening in the Nintendo market. All sorts of listener questions. So tell your mom about the show. Go to iTunes and give us five stars. And I apologize because Ada was typing in the background and neither of us could move in some of my parts. So there is a keyboard in the back of some of my audio. I'm sorry. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Collector's Quest. I'm Tyler here with Johnny and Stefan. What's going on? Yo! I'm having a weird, great day. A weird, uh, great day? Why? Weird stuff has happened today. Like that, um... Show me on the doll where he touched you. Well, we were talking about it in, in chat, but I uh, I bought a bulk lot of art and this one piece that I couldn't uh, identify, and the three of us were like, what the hell is this? It's just this random ninja and this dog. It ends up being this, like, Final Fantasy three. Uh, piece that was never used for Nintendo Power, and so like this thing that I thought was just some like janky whatever, like was a f- piece of Final Fantasy three art, and that kind of happened out of the blue today. So yeah, well, remember when you showed me the first picture, and I'm like, why do I know this? What do I know this from? And then yeah. I couldn't think of it. And then someone said Final Fantasy. I'm like, ah, Shadow. Yep. Oh, it looks yeah. exactly like him when you put him next to the sprite in that like early 90s late 80s way kind of like how weird Mega Man 2 man looks kind of like Mega Man if you put <laughs> Well them that's yeah. the thing like cuz cuz the you know they had so much of the like original Japanese art for Final Fantasy I, I the name of the artist escapes me but he did all the early Final Fantasy art and so to have this like piece of American art like I just, it didn't occur to me that there would be an American Final Fantasy uh, art piece from the 90s It is definitely not within the artistic stylings of normal Final Fantasy art. Yeah, it is not. Stefan came to me and he's like, Tyler, is there a dog in Ninja Gaiden? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, because I thought of Shinobi, right? They have the, the dog as, a, as part of, is actually part of the gameplay. Yeah. Um, so I thought maybe like there was a Ninja Gaiden dog because it was definitely not the ninja from Shinobi or the Shinobi from Shinobi. I don't know. Meh. Yeah. Johnny, I'll what's... put that on Instagram so y'all can know what we're talking about. Yeah. Is it like Nintendo Power cover sized? Was it like yeah, supposed so, to be a cover? Yeah, I did. I bought this from a guy who did multiple covers. So actually, if you look up my Instagram from the last few days, the covers that I've been posting, it's all the same artist. And so this one was also in that. And uh, so I didn't know what it was and you know he's one of the, he was a commercial artist and you know he doesn't remember a lot of things from 30 years ago or care to remember uh we, we've gone over this like when we're doing research sometimes or reaching out to people who were involved in the industry 30 years ago it was a job to them they don't care they just want you to go away so um he's you know he's he's nicer than that but it was a case where he's like i don't really remember but um from his he looked up some like old invoices and it was listed as uh, a Nintendo Power cover. So it was intended to be a Nintendo Power cover, and it's roughly the same size and aspect ratio of the other covers that he drew. Um, so it was just they decided not to go with Final Fantasy III for for the cover of Nintendo Power, and so it's an unreleased... That dude found Nintendo invoices from 30 years ago? That's yeah. impressive. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I find with these commercial artists, just 
in my outreach, you, it's it's very polarizing. They either kept everything or they kept nothing. Uh, and so usually the uh, the guys that keep tons and tons of artwork uh, also uh, keep records. Neat. Neat. Uh, all right. But, uh, and all of this is like super good information, but we're like way off and we haven't even said what the show is about. I'm happy to revisit this, but let's. That's right. We're only, uh, we're only four minutes in. It's good. Yeah, I know. So I, let's, to uh, be fair, I asked what's going on guys. And Stefan's well, like, I'm, I got art. I'm figuring out what my art is. Yeah. Also, not, I want to say we, look, you were, not, you've been trying to figure out what this is for like a couple weeks and you posted it in the video game original artwork group and someone figured it out in literally 60 seconds. Yep. <laughs> it was cool. All right. Uh, so what are we talking about today, gentlemen? Does does someone other than me want to explain what we're doing in the episode? Tyler, are you feeling confident this round? I don't really understand what this episode's about, Johnny. It's a we're mail doing bag. a mailbag, but I don't want to say that because that sounds like such a cop out. Like, oh, they didn't have a, they didn't have an episode topic, so they're just doing everything. No way, a hundred percent. That's what we're doing. Everybody that's... loves our mailbag episodes. I don't know if everybody loves our mailbag episodes, but we also have some pricing stuff to talk about. I also. Stefan likes to do mailbag episodes and I told him we had to limit them because he's like, let's do another one. I was like, we we just did one like two months ago. And he's like, let's do another one like a week <laughs> later. And I was like, I just want to okay. point out that your least favorite episode last year was a mailbag episode, Johnny. I I know, but the show isn't just about what I like. So I would I would if it were up to me, I would 100 like even if it was like a bonus episode, if we went to like two episodes a week. I would I would want a mailbag episode every week. I'm that into mailbags. Yes. You know you know who's doing a lot of mailbag episodes? Reserved investments on YouTube. <laughs> Man, uh, you know, I feel like you are 50% responsible for people knowing about reserved investments. No, Pat the NES Punk talks about him a lot. Yeah. I don't think Pat the SNES Punk would know about him if it wasn't for you. I think you've influenced Pat. <laughs> Ooh, Pat, you listening to the show? Yeah, he's listening Pat, to his competition. Send me a signed something. Send me a signed book. Big fan. That's not facetious. I do like Pat the NES Punk. I know he's controversial. But Is he? he? Like some people are really against him because he has opinions. It's like I don't. You don't have to agree with everything someone says. But I'm here yeah. for Ian Ferguson. I am. I am an Ian I'm, fan. I'm out on both of those guys. Not personally. I just their content. I don't, their content isn't for me. So it's just not to my taste. It's not that you're wrong for listening to them or like them, but their, their stuff isn't for me. Do you like, are you more like a, a real news guy, Johnny? Like you like getting down yeah. to the brass tacks? Well, that's why this, you know, when we want to like stray wildly off topic uh, or do weird things, I'm like, no guys, we have to talk about collecting at least a little bit. It's because I like to br like, I think that's who our audience is and that's who I want to talk to. So like, these fake news and just talking about other people's topics doesn't, that doesn't excite me. Wait, what are other people's topics? What? Well, like, what's a mailbag when, episode if not other people's topics? I'm so no, confused no, now. What, no, like, he means like, he means other, regurgitating news. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yes. Commentating like, yeah. YouTube's oh, let's biggest talk about genre. News. Here's yeah, some like, things. Or even yeah. more meta when they commentate on like other YouTubers. Oh, right. Hey, oh, hey, oh, this was an article I read. Let's talk about this. And you're like, hmm. Yeah, here's an article like, I read. Let me read it to you. Yeah, and then let's <laughs> talk about. It. I mean, that's okay. Like, if if something is worthy of discussion, it's worthy of discuss uh, of discussion. And I don't want to like sure. shit all over that. But that's just that's not what this podcast is here to do. So 
we try to talk about things that are collectible. And obviously, when something is a hot button issue in the community, we we touch on it too. So yeah, uh, and we're, you know, we're guilty I, as charged as well. But when you know when something when a current event does fall into our like Venn diagram of podcasting, um, then you know we do cover it. Like when the hundred thousand Mario sale happened yeah. we covered that you know when they uh reissued those Mega Man cartridges that was a big one we covered <laughs> they reissued the Mega Mans yes Johnny I feel like you're actually not understanding rather than being in on the joke <laughs> the, the, they reissued them stop it what who who reissued those Tyler yeah who who read Tyler. the game show <laughs> cheap cheap games no that's oh, our that's actual wrong sponsor. name drop that yeah that's the that's yeah the I am eight bit they're still available that's the joke <laughs> okay anyways um we've talked a lot about how this is a mailbag episode and other nonsense and and other people's podcasts so I guess free advertising for those people not that I think that matters but uh, I guess let's do our podcast now. Yeah, you know what people uh, really like when you don't bullshit around with an intro that's 10 minutes long. You just get into the content of the show. People love that. So anyway. (laughs) I'm like, do they? I I hope not, because that's they're listening to the wrong podcast. People enjoy us as people. So, Johnny, do you want to alternate or do you just want to go down my list and then go down your list? Yeah, just we'll just go down yours and then we'll go down mine. It's we, we don't need to. We don't need to be hopping around. That'll just make it unnecessarily difficult. Okay, so if uh, the audience doesn't know the format here, we basically, over the past couple days, have uh, polled you all on Instagram. So if you don't follow us on Instagram, uh, you should, if not for just uh, being able to participate in mailbag episodes. Because essentially we're at a uh, level of feedback where if you ask us a question, we are likely to answer it on podcast so if you want to be part of this podcast then follow us on instagram and we will occasionally ask mailbag questions um so we did that and uh, johnny and i got some responses and so i'll just go down my list of your questions and then we'll hit johnny's so gentlemen what is the one item that you would pass the that you had the opportunity to purchase but passed on and now regret and that's from 8-bit hero 79 Ooh, um tyler you want to go uh, sure. I, I think both of them have been on the show. Um, I've mentioned this a lot. I, I know exactly where I was when I decided that I shouldn't buy an NWC Gold. Um, I was oh. standing outside of Forgotten Freshness in Mechanicville, New York, probably around 2009, uh, when like NWC Golds were going for like $20,000. And I've been game collecting for a while. Um, I would bought and sold an M82 at that point, And I was like, if there's a holy grail game collecting, it's NWC Gold. If it's the one thing that's probably never going down in price. And if I basically sold everything I had, I could afford one. And that was at a point where like you couldn't kind of get one, but if you look for them, they're out there. And now they're like people looking for them, like they're not even popping up for sale at all. Was there a copy in Forgotten Freshness? No, there wasn't a copy in Forgotten Freshness. Okay. I just remember walking out of there and I remember consciously like making my life choice like I'm not going to buy an NWC gold. That would be a bad idea. But for a more realistic thing, also I mentioned on the show, uh, I had uh, the owner of the barcade in Charlotte, North Carolina, Abari, go there. It's amazing. Uh, Offered me uh, loose stadium events. It was like, it was somewhere around $9,000, which was on the high end of normal at the time. 
and I passed on it. And like less than six months later, everything sealed went crazy. And, uh, and now that's like the maybe a listener of the show has been buying a lot of stadium events. <laughs> but uh, I do. It, it wasn't the right time to buy that stadium events because I got I got so much stuff since then. I've been like completing like sets and buying like stuff that I've always wanted. Um, and I think what I bought and with that money has made me happier than stadium events. But yeah, steam events is boring. <sighs> it's boring. It's not interesting, and I, I mean, I've talked about it. So happy that's not the game anymore. Anyways, um, do you have more to say on that? No, not really. Okay. Um, let's see. Games that I regret passing on. I mean, there's like little stuff where like we've got something in my eBay cart and it goes. And uh, I'm like, ah, but there's nothing like too big. I don't... You know, I have most of the stuff I want to have, so there's nothing like, I'm like, oh man, I'm losing sleep over this. There was one time at a, uh, what is it, uh, collectible classic games or something, or CCG, I forget what it was exactly, but it was a video game show that used to happen and in Las Vegas, uh, and it was like Las Vegas for a little while, anyways, it was like once every other year or it was yearly and then became once every other year. Anyways, I was there and there was a guy walking around with a magical chase in box. And this was one of the many times in my life I thought about buying into turbo graphics, uh, because that's, this has been happening since I started collecting. Even when I used to write my blog, there was this guy who was a really big turbo guy. And he was always like, Johnny, you got to get on turbo now, now. And I'm like, Oh, it's too expensive. I don't want to do turbo. Now I got to focus on super Nintendo. Anyways, so there's this guy walking around and he was holding it up and like trying to sell it for $2,000 and it was like a nice copy. He's just like running around holding it up. Yeah, it was like, this is 2009-ish, you know, 2008. And uh, I was like, he's like, get this grail now. And I was like, I'm not paying $2,000 for a game. Get out of (laughs) here. If you started collecting in like the last three years, it's hard to overstate how much like two thousand dollars is not a game, a price a game would ever sell for in any condition. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this is I mean, it may have even been earlier than 2009. It may have been like between 2007 and 2009. I don't remember exactly. But yeah, that's the one I guess if I regret. But I mean, I don't I'm not killing myself over that one. I, I don't lose sleep over anything I've missed. And I'm I'm quite happy with what I have. Me too, Johnny. Uh, my answer. I may have uh talked about this before, but I had the opportunity, and this was shortly after I had finished my 3DO set. Uh, I had the opportunity to buy a full set of CDI, uh, complete. Uh, it wasn't, movies? No, it wasn't all oh. the movies, but it was all the all the games. So like all the bad Nintendo licenses and all that. And uh, he wanted something like $1,500. And it was just, like I said, I had, I had just finished uh, my 3DO set having paid way too much for, or way too much at the time, for Dino Park Tycoon. So I was like strapped, strapped, strapped. And uh, so I passed. And I regret that because you just don't see sets like that. Because it's really bad, like the Pico. Yeah. But there's a lot of it. That's really weird. I would have thought that a CDI set is way more expensive, but I guess it's literally just like, the Zelda games are expensive, and then everything exactly. else is really yeah, cheap. It's just, it's just filler. But at the same time, it's all extraordinarily rare because nobody bothers to sell it. I've got a saved search. Just every CDI game I read in my email every morning. 
Is that true? They pop up. That's true. How funny. I just look at every CDI game. It like I'm waiting for something to interest me. Really, I'm looking for Zelda's Adventure if I could find a deal on that. But uh, if someone interests me, put up a ten dollar buy it now on a CDI game. I'll probably buy it. <laughs> so yeah, there it is. Uh, that's my big my big regret is the full CDI set. This, of course, your big regret is the CDI set. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because also, I mean, most people who listen to this podcast know, but if you're new, uh, I have really, really poor interest uh, impulse control. So generally, if there's something that I'm like mildly interested in, I just I, I just buy it. Like I don't I don't pass on a lot if it's genuinely interesting to me. But that was just the bad time. And I it's the one thing that I regret is the CD I set. If it was a year ago, I would be making bets that you would buy the CD I set within a year. But I know you don't collect retail video games anymore. Yeah. Now it's now you're well to do. Stefan is uh, not interested <laughs> in such commoner garbage. Um, we'll, we'll get back to well to do Stefan at some point in the show. <laughs> All right, um, gentlemen. Next question. Uh, and you know what? I don't think we really need to like go one by one for this one because no. Um, maybe I'll just point it at Tyler. Why did the Dreamcast fail? And that's uh, Daniel underscore. Uh, Dur- I'm going to butcher this. Durusau. 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 Sure. Sure. Uh, Tyler, well, why did the Dreamcast fail? Because uh, Sega completely like shot themselves in the foot with the Sega Saturn, and PlayStation completely destroyed them. And then they released a it a year before the sequel to the PlayStation and a console that played DVD movies. DVD movies, I'll remind you, before Netflix existed when people went to Blockbuster every week, it had no chance of surviving at all, no matter how good the games were. Yeah, it was uh, before... Sega's downfall came before... The Saturn. It it started with uh, all the add-on stuff to the Genesis, the 32X and the Sega CD. That's really when things fell apart for them. And the rift between Sega America and Sega Japan uh, became too big. And like uh, what Klasinski was like kind of pushed out that that whole thing was kind of um, that was really that, you know, Japan just not understanding the American audience. And for a while, Genesis was giving Super Nintendo a run for its money and even beating it at some point. And then they just forced uh, this stupid 32X and a CD console that were ill-conceived on the market. And then that, you know, made them... It was. uh, It was terrible. And then the Saturn, uh, you know, that you underdevelop on the Saturn, you know, and underdeliver on the promise of that system. And then then too quickly kill that and then launch the Dreamcast right up, butting up against the PS2, which was just, uh, you know, a wrecking ball of a console to everything in its wake. So And uh, what, like $100 cheaper, right? That was the price heard around the world is what they refer yeah. to it as when the at the E3 unveiling when the, I forget the uh, executive's $199 name. $199 or whatever. Yeah, he just, he walked up to the mic and said $199 and that was it. And they did yeah. something similar with the Saturn and the PlayStation too, right? The PlayStation undercut the Saturn. So Sega was like, Sega had no chance. Read the book Console Wars. It goes into how much of a disaster Sega of Japan was and how... Uh, uh, they What a nightmare they must have been. It, it, it's true. Just Ada's looking at me, I think, because she heard me listen to the audiobook and it has a, a white uh, narrator who does some uh, questionable yeah. Japanese accents sure all the time. Does. Wow. <laughs> sure does i mean yeah that's hard um that that, that's a tough spot for a narrator to be in um when you have to convey that someone is not uh, of your race but it's It's not 
but it, he just look, it, goes for it. He, oh, he does just go for it. it. And the, their engineer must have been like, yeah, this is great. Keep going. Uh, I wouldn't have wanted to be in that position, that's for sure. So, anyways, glad it wasn't me. Uh, let's move on, though. All right. I think that we, we solidly answered that question. Next up, from our buddy Grant, GW, uh, what video game stuff do you guys have in storage and storage is in quotes so um i i would expand that to be in the garage or like sets that you've moved into closets um you know hey yeah fun (laughs) fun things that you don't actively uh display the shame room the shame room johnny you want to go first because i know you have oh yeah stuff Uh, oh a lot of stuff okay so a thing happened first like just some history here i used to not have I mean, I used to have some stuff in the garage, not a whole lot, some weird stuff. And I had this closet full of like bulky extra stuff. And it's a big closet. Stefan can tell you. It's not like not like a little closet. It's like a full walk-in big closet that I lovingly re- refer to as my shame room. But this event that happened was the birth of my son because I had this second room where games, had st- well, it was like a Lego and and extra game set room. And my wife and I would just do Legos in there and do sets, and it it was fine. But um, that was when we were on the, we can't have kids, we might as well repurpose this room. But when we bought the house, it was like, this will be the child's bedroom whenever we have a child. Surprise, you're pregnant. Now we got to get all this crap out of this room. Um, So I have a full GameCube set, a full Wii U set. I have... All of my Harry Potter games, all hundred and something of those, uh, though they they are still on shelves and kind of displayed. Um, so I don't know if that's so much storage. All of my Game Boy stuff is in nice little boxes, and I, I want to show a picture of that because I found these really good boxes, and I, I can give some tips if you have trouble storing uh, any of the Game Boy, Game Boy Color, or GBA games. And then, like in the storage and like deep storage, I have like some N-Gage stuff, extra consoles, a giant box full of wires, you know, extra Dreamcast, um, a Japanese Saturn just out in the garage, just little, like, DK bongos are out there. It's your gaming junk drawer. Yeah, it's just like, um, I've got a Super Scope out there, a Menacer out there. I used to have Batter Up out there until it went to Stefan. um, Yeah. So I've got a miracle piano out there. Um, I've got so I've got like all modern console boxes out there in de- in cold storage. So yeah, that that's that's it. Quite a bit is actually in storage since I can't fit everything. Also, some PSP games are also in the shame room, and my PS2 games are in the shame room. Um, those are storage, but like less so. That's like that's like a almost not quite storage room. We'll start a hashtag like show us your crappy storage video game shame yeah. corner. <laughs> I'm sure everyone, anybody who's been doing this for a while probably has one. Yep. Um, I remember when I first started and like I would see uh, I would be on Nintendo Age and see these people like selling these like bulk lots of like extra junk and thinking to myself like like I don't understand how people get to the point in their collection where like they just have all this extra stuff and like you know. <laughs> Just like the naivety of it all, like in the long term now looking back, like because now I'm totally that guy who just has a garage full of garbage. I, I don't buy, bul- I haven't bought bulk lots in 
maybe 10 years, maybe a little bit less than that. I buy individual games specifically that I want and I still end up with stuff that's extra somehow. Yep. It's just a disaster. 100%. Yeah, so in in my garage, um, I mean, like Johnny, it is sort of my like catch-all junk drawer of gaming stuff. Um, like half half put together kiosks or like project arcade games. Uh, I've got a Mortal Kombat 2 out there. I've got a Super Nintendo Super System out there. Uh, that actually used to be Grant's. So uh, thanks for the question, Grant. Um, but uh, the one thing that I have out there that I keep trying to like figure out how to bring in is if you look at the um, the the Barker image for the last episode of uh, Collector's Quest on my on my Instagram, there's a, um, a a Mad Cat from the BattleTech universe. It's a it's a mech, and but it's it's uh, custom built and it's about four feet tall and what it is is from uh some of you may remember the um location-based arcade yes mechs are dumb but the location-based arcade from the 90s uh virtual world or if you were in chicago the BattleTech center uh and each each one of these locations had like an explorer's lounge it was very it was very thematic and um so each one of them had a custom-built uh, one of these mechs, and they were actually built by Disney Imagineers. So they're incredibly beautiful, very meticulous, scratch-built models. And and I own one, and I keep trying to justify because, like I said, it's it's four feet Wait, tall. Wait, you own a and... BattleTech mech, like the sit-in game? Well, I used to. I used to own cockpits. So like before, I collected like console games. I collected arcade games specifically, and I did have six uh, Virtual World cockpits at one time. What? What am I? It's, it's true, man. Uh, but those are very, very difficult to maintain because they were all scratch built, um, like all custom hardware with like the virtual world logo like stamped on the boards. Um, and so over time, that hardware just becomes naturally becomes paperweights because you just can't replace it. So, uh, so it it got to the point where they were taking up more space than than I was comfortable with con- considering their level of functionality. So I ended up uh, trading those away. But uh, but I still love Virtual World and I have a lot of history with that. Um, I was a, a internationally competing pilot in the game Red Planet. Um, and uh, so I, I do have a fondness for Virtual World. So you, you will see smatterings of it in my game room. But that's like the big thing that I wanna try to like figure out where I'm gonna put it in the house so that's not in my garage is uh, is that Battletech model? I love it. Boo. Kind of neat. I like arcade yeah. games too, Stefan. Yeah. My answer is real boring. Uh, PS2, Wii, and PSP. One day they just all got taken off the shelf, put in the boxes, and put under pinball machines in the garage because all that stuff is garbage. Uh, GameCube, you're on the chopping block. Oh, I, I, I forgot. I totally have all of my. Um... <laughs> all of my Wii games out there. Yeah, you said you said your uh, your Wii U set and your GameCube set. There's one are, more set those... that you're really close to, Johnny. Yep. Um no, but the other uh, Wii set is like 100% just out there rotting in boxes. That's like in the actual garage in cold storage. Yeah, I like I don't want to have like that cold storage garage uh speaking of our friend Pat the NES punk. Uh, he's made a video where he goes over like his collection down to like the nitty gritty stuff where he just like goes out in his garage and it's just like boxes and boxes of like boxed consoles and boxed computers. And it's just like a hoarder disaster. 
which is why I try to stick to software, because if I was buying hardware, it would just take up way too much room. Is that the video where like every two minutes he's saying, I don't know why I have this? Yep, that's probably it. (laughs) (laughs) Flea markets, they're a disease. All right, friends. Uh, A lot of Dreamcast questions today. Here's another one. Uh, What are your guys' favorite and least favorite Dreamcast games from Pokezoid Collector? Anyone want to take this? Nope. Uh, Ikaruga is my favorite Dreamcast game because it's my favorite shooter. Uh, I like Ikaruga a lot, even though I first played it on GameCube, but whatever. It counts. It's an arcade game. Everything on Dreamcast is a port. It's a system of ports. Do you want me to go off on this, Stefan? No, <laughs> no. But I've got a good no. answer for my least favorite GameCube game or Dreamcast <laughs> game. It's oh, Toy God. Commander. Because every time I say, like, oh, it's nothing but arcade ports. Everything's a multi-platform or it's been remade. Then someone's like, but what about Toy Commander? So I've never even played Toy Commander, but that's why it's my least favorite Dreamcast game. Because it's the exception to the rule. I don't know that I have a least favorite. Um, I think my favorite is Space Channel 5. Um, not that it's the best game, but I just have played it a lot and have nostalgic feels for it. So uh, Space Channel 5, my favorite. Can't probably, go wrong with Michael Jackson. Probably House of the Dead and Skies of Arcadia. That's it. Right. Skies of Arcadia is your least favorite? Got it. Not going to linger on this one no. for long. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> CWR2 asks, how long till Stefan buys Nintendo, the actual company? This is uh, our friend Chris, and um, he's obviously mostly joking, but this is really in reference to my buying habits recently. Um, I've been buying uh, original art mostly. If you've been following me on Instagram, you can see a lot of that. I've been gearing up for an art show in March at the Socorro Gaming Expo, so please come. Uh, but um, yeah, my tastes have certainly shifted recently, and um, I'm very suddenly not buying the same things that I normally buy, and this is a reference to that. So uh, I would be not interested in... If I bought a company like that, I would have to be where like I just owned it and like got the money like the the revenue stream from it and then had someone else run it for me uh but uh but no i would i would never want to like own a own own a company that big chris you missed it he bought a brick from nintendo he owns nintendo that's true i do own i do own a piece of their property that's about as close as it'll get gentlemen uh from new leaf brandon our buddy new leaf brandon what are some games that were critical or financial flops that you loved and recommend to others uh, well, Deadly Premonition used to be that game for me, but now it's like people have come back around on it. I feel like that's a cult classic is what you would call that. Yeah, I mean, but like it's gotten it's a, it has a release on the Switch and it's getting a sequel. So like I don't like, uh, you know, like Brain Lords is a game I liked a lot as a kid, which is a, a bad uh, Square Enix RPG from the 90s. So, like, maybe that then. But, yeah, my go-to answer used to just be Deadly Premonition. And they like they just kept making it again and again. People just kept buying it. <laughs> Until it wasn't a financial flop. Right. <laughs> Tyler, you got one? Uh, Hey, guys, have you heard of Ninja Gaiden 3? I don't know that that was actually a critical flop, but people pretend it's the worst Ninja Gaiden game when it's really the best Ninja Gaiden game. Uh, shout out to My Life in Gaming, who called it the secret best Ninja Gaiden game and had the best level design on NES in a recent video. 
Unreal 2, XMP, Unreal 2, kind of a bad game. The extended multiplayer mod, uh, I believe I've talked about on the show, is the best multiplayer game of all time. It's a class-based, uh, there's three different classes, and you go around and you hack stuff and you drive vehicles, and it was before class-based first-person shooters were a thing. And uh, Phantom Dust, Golgo 13, and Sky Odyssey are also really good and I think kind of underrated. All right. And uh, for me, I think if you listen to this podcast and know my taste in games, you might be able to guess what I'm going to say. But uh, both, a cri- both a critical and financial flop at the time and no longer uh, Earthbound, ladies and gentlemen. Boring. Uh, did not. Boring. But that's a game that I it's loved and gem. that I recommend. Uh, you know, it uh, it did not review well, nor did it uh, do very well uh, in sales initially. So there you go. Did, did Sky Odyssey get good reviews? It's a civilian flight simulator, and I love it. If you haven't played Sky Odyssey and you like flight sims, it's like $4 shipped on eBay. And there's no other game like it because nobody makes non-combat flying games. It's just a game about the joy of flying a plane. It's wonderful. Is it? It is. I love it. I love throwing it into Secret Santa things, and people always get it, and they'll be like, oh, I got a budget PS2 game. What the f***? And I'm like, no, play it. It's awesome. Yeah. It has a 79 on Metacritic, which by 2000 standards, I think a 79 is like a zero, but I don't remember that well. Well, that's probably before they paid for reviews. Yeah. <laughs> so this next one, I think, uh, you know, you guys can answer it as thoroughly or not thoroughly as you are comfortable with, because it is a question about our personal lives. Uh, what do you guys do for a living? And what was the worst and best past jobs? And that's for our, from R.Y. Holland. Uh, I do tech support for telepresence. Um, it's the only thing I've ever done, so it is both my best and worst job. Although I guess I've worked at Burger King and I've worked at a ski place. I've had all those like teenager jobs. Uh, this is those, the best job because I make a lot more money than when I was working at a ski shop when I was 14 years old. All right. Um, so I'm on the phone all day getting yelled at by customers. It's pretty great. Okay, so best job? Um, yeah. This job, I, I'm an analyst for Patagonia, so I, I do a job that I, I like a lot uh, for a company that you know shares a similar ethos. And even if you don't agree with their politics, I, I like when companies take a stand. Even if I don't, you know, even if I let's say I didn't agree with everything, I, I like I like people and things that ha- and like companies that have an opinion rather than just money. So um, yeah, that that's what I do. I'm like a high level analyst and I look at performance data quite a bit and I build data sets and things like that. No one is shocked by that answer. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that's the least shocking things you, you will hear. Um, the shocking part. And I've said this on the show is that it is my video game collecting and uh, data assembly that got me the job and not my school. Um, because I was a communications major and once upon a time, I, you know, like I did, got an associate's in journalism, um, uh, major in rhetorical theory uh, in communications and uh, the theory of, of uh, war and peace and politics. And uh, then uh, I got a master's in education to go be a teacher. And uh, yeah, so I was supposed to think and talk a lot. And that's what I do a podcast for now. And then I, my hobby was like looking at data and like seeing what things did in, in video games. And then that became a, a job for me. So that's my best job. Worst job. Ooh. Um, 
If you never heard the episode where I talk about how I got my first Super Nintendo, I worked for a company called Junior Careers when I was very young, uh, like under 13 young, and I went door to door selling candy for $4 a box or $5 oh, for worst. Yeah, $4 a box or $5 if you were buying a candy or uh, sorry, a candle um, or peanut brittle. And I got 90 cents a sale or a dollar if you bought the $5 box. Um, so that was a really bad job, but that was like a weird. That was where like some guy picked you up in a van, a white van with no windows <laughs> and dropped me off in bad neighborhoods, like dropped me off in bad neighborhoods in Los Angeles. Like, like you, I don't know what the plan here was, but like to take, uh, like, a a pudgy white kid and drop him off in like a ghetto and then ask him to try and sell chocolate to people who definitely weren't going to buy $4 a box chocolate. And then also keep him armed with this guys. Remember I'm old. So this is like pre pagers and cell phones. So it was like no calling for help or anything, but like, let's also put some money in his pocket. He's I, I'm, I'm chubby. So I'm not out running anyone. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I can fight back a little bit, but like, what am I going to do? Uh, you're, if you want my money, you're just going to take it from me. Um, so yeah, this was largely a bad idea. Uh, but like the worst job job I had was uh, an early teenage job. And it was, I worked at a pet store for a month and just made enough money to buy a 78 Datsun B210. That, that's the only reason I had this job, but I worked in the like in a back dark area with the rodents. So I had to clean rodent cages and like sell feeder mice and stuff. And I used to have to like remove them from mother rats and like, like clean their cages. And like, it was just a horrible job. And then there was a point where we got a shipment of Madagascar hissing cockroaches like that. I had to like tend to, and I was just like, I will never do this. So I dumped them all down a drain refused to deal with it yeah i was like there's no way yeah it was just that job was to replay so yeah there we go so for the last 17 years i have been in the video game industry i started out in quality assurance and just sort of worked my way up the food chain uh today i am a senior producer for a mobile game company um mobility where you probably have one of our games on your phone um that's right. Go play it. Uh, go play it. Um, and uh, best job, I mean, I, I to stay in the game industry for as long as I have, you either have to be crazy or love it, and I think I'm a little bit of both. And specifically, Mobility Wear is one of the greatest companies I've ever worked for in my life. Worst job, uh, I worked... It was one of my only jobs outside of the game industry when I was very young. I worked as a night auditor for a hotel, and that was terrible. Um, just nobody wants to be on either end of customer service at like three, four, five in the morning when all they want to do is go to bed. Uh, so you get some pretty, uh, amazing, uh, customer interactions and some horror stories as well. You know, I did have a jumper at one point, uh, killed themselves jumping off the building on my watch. That was great. Um, I'd have people from, uh, I had a particular couple from Sweden that would always have sex in our pool. Um, the same uh, couple yeah they whatever they were doing they were there a lot and uh and they would have sex in our pool um though though 
people that I really did enjoy, there was a tour group from Egypt that would be uh, that would come through all the time, and they were you know on their on their time zone, so they would be like in the lobby and just like hanging out and and chatting me up uh, at all hours in the morning. And then there was also uh, we were connected to the Pasadena Convention Center at the time, and there was a Xena convention. That so that'll that'll date this a little bit. There was a Xena convention when I worked there, uh, and um, a lot of that fan base was in New Zealand because that was the where the the show was shot, and uh, so they would come through at all hours of the morning too, in like full Xena cosplay, you know, on these red eye flights, and that was that was really fun to deal with. The convention people were always really fun to deal with, but uh, other than that, night audit is not a fun gig. It's just a lot of like report processing and filling out spreadsheets and just making sure that uh all of the paperwork is there for the morning management and uh yeah it's 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 not mind-numbing work and that was actually the job that uh convinced me to go get my uh, my degree initially so it was it was so bad that it drove me back to school um, and uh so yeah that was my uh my worst job all right friends um from D Mar, you want to take a shot at that, Johnny? What is that? D um, I'm not looking at the doc. Let me. Uh, D Mar, D Marga. I'm gonna cut California this to make it seem like you guys are getting this on the first try. <laughs> uh, asks, uh, what is a game you guys play when you aren't in a good mood, when you're stressed or depressed? I'll go. I talk about this a lot. Uh, Star Fox. It, for the SNES is my go-to um, because thanks to the uh, the black hole, I can beat it in about 19 minutes. And so it's just a very uh, quick, like, I can feel satisfied. I got my, like, I got my my thing in. You know, I feel like I've accomplished something and, uh, and I'm good at it. And I practically play the game blindfolded now. Uh, so, uh, so it's, it's very... Uh, cathartic for me to just like, oh, I have a few minutes. I'm just going to play through Star Fox real quick. So that's my game that I play when I'm stressed or depressed or bored or, you know, just have a little bit of time to just get one in as, as I play Star Fox. So I actually put, been playing it a lot on the Switch, um, which drives me a little bit crazy because the emulation that they use uh, changes the frame rate a little bit and it annoys me, but that's okay. Does it make it better? Because Star Fox is like the worst. No, it just throws off my timing. Like it's just okay. different. Like it it speeds it up. So if you don't regularly play off a cartridge, it's probably fine. But if you do regularly play play off a cartridge, like I do, uh, then playing it on the Switch or playing it really on any emulator uh, messes with the timing a little bit. So it's like I feel like I'm missing shots and I shouldn't just because the frame rate is different. I don't regularly play Star Fox because it's Star Fox. Star Fox right. 64, what's up, millennials? Um, I don't play games when I'm in a bad mood. I only play games when I'm in a good mood. I sit in bed and watch YouTube if I'm stressed or after work or something. Because like when I would say Ninja Gaiden, but every time I play Ninja Gaiden, I'm in the best mood. I'm like humming the tunes and, and going along with it. So I just don't play games when I'm in a bad mood. All right, thanks for your super boring answer. What, good, what do you want good, me to say? Way, way to be relatable. No, no that, that's cool. Um... I usually put on uh, a comfort game like Final Fantasy. That that's one because I I don't have to think while I play it. Also, Call of Duty. Like if I if I'm like just annoyed and sometimes, you know, not that I advocate for violence or anything, but sometimes you just want to shoot a bitch, and that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I I don't mean that as uh, 
that's a disparaging mark remark to anyone that that's a joke. Um, no, I, you know, sometimes you just gotta, you know, exert something and, uh, you know, call of duty. You can just run and shoot random strangers and, uh, that, that feels good. What a boring uh, answer that you've already said, Johnny. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's real boring and unrelatable. Then I don't play um, games Johnny, I'm um, like the Nintendo that. collector that plays Call of Duty only. <laughs> you you play Call of Duty. I do. Modern Warfare is actually fun. I'll probably play it again <laughs> in the next week. I'm yeah, I'm like, really how are you? I'm like, how are you going to try and criticize me for playing Call of Duty? You just told us about playing Call of Duty. Yeah, get out of here. Gunfight. It's really good. Go ahead. Uh, next next question is directed. <laughs> Pointedly at me, uh, Jasonic the Kid, to fix your uh, pinball machine deficiency, what pinball are you going to get? Um, this is actually uh, not true, actually. I don't have a pinball, a complete pinball deficiency. I do own a pinball game. It just doesn't currently live here. Uh, it's at my sister April's house, which we're actually going to rectify very soon. April O'Neil? back to me. Yes, April O'Neil. Uh, the porn star. No. Um, and uh, so it is uh, the Ninja Turtles Data East pinball game. Uh, I love this particular unit uh, because it was... So when the pinball... The year that the pinball machine was released, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird basically had Data East send one to every artist that worked on the Ninja Turtles. And so my particular unit was shipped to Ken Matroni, who was the artist for the Archie Ninja Turtles comic series. Uh, and it stayed in his, So it went from the factory to his art studio and then stayed there for 25 years. And then he sold it to me. So it is a, uh, a Data East Ninja Turtles game that is you. It's, it's just super, super minty because it's just never been inside. It's never seen the inside of an arcade. So, uh, so yeah, that's it's called my... home use only, Stefan. Yeah, well. And no one calls pinball machines units. Why not? It's, it's not a, a unit. unit. It is a unit. Oh, my God. So inventory-like. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a piece of inventory. It is a unit. Oh. Uh, so, yeah. That's the pinball machine I own. So, gentlemen, uh, being both pinball machine owners, I don't know if you want to talk about what you have now, but uh, is there is there a pinball machine that you would buy that you don't currently have? Flash Gordon is definitely my favorite game that I don't own. It is super hard, and noobs hate it, which is part of what is so appealing about it. You'll never have a game that lasts more than, like, 10 minutes on Flash Gordon, and more than, like, three minutes is a joy. And I like short, short pinball machines. So that is what I would get. Uh, I just don't have room. I need to get rid of some pinball machines. Yeah, no thanks. Um, I, I mean, Elvira Scared Stiff is my favorite pinball machine. So, I mean, I also, I'm not like going to wow anyone with uh, like obscure pinballs like Flash Gordon or anything. I, you know, I like the basic there's, stuff. There's so many Flash Gordon. It's outsold Scared Stiff. Okay. <sighs> Johnny, but, you want to talk about pinball production numbers? See, nope. th this is what I mean. <laughs> see how Tyler just had a thing where he wants to correct me about pinball machines? I just don't care that much. Um, uh -huh. I have a Batman Data East machine, an 89 one, uh, because I like Batman, and I think the pinball machine looks really cool. Not because it's an overly complex machine or a great board to play, um, but I like it. Uh, if not, I would like Medieval Madness. I like a lot. The castle explodes. That's fun. That's like a fun thing that happens. And Adam's family. Those are like the ones on my list. 
Like I would actually love to have like 10 pinball machines and like a, a lot of the horror themed pinball machines. I would love to just have like own a little pinball room. So I would, I would like at some point I see myself buying one of the new production pinball machines. I don't know which one I haven't really looked into them enough to decide which one I would want, but cause I love pinball, but I really hate the maintenance that a lot of pinball machines, most pinball machines of any age kind of require to maintain, you know, they just sort of, rot just sitting there doing nothing uh so i would love something that's brand new that i wouldn't have to worry about for like 20 years um so i could see myself getting something you know some new production game at some point um but right now yeah i have my my turtles machine that i really like we're all pinball owners suck it just sonic the kid yeah lord of the rings (laughs) is also a fun pinball i like i like the hobbit one too but it's a little it's okay i don't know if i could own it Hobbit sucks. Let's get really. You want to get really opinionated on pinball? Lord of the Rings no, we is don't. too easy. Next, like forty-five Next. minutes a game. What the hell? <laughs> uh, gentlemen, when working with limited space, what methods of storage does Collector's Quest recommend? And this is from Traumatized Squee. Is that Stop like squee, squee the Goblin Nabob? Or Squee the little kid in the Johnny the Homicidal Maniac universe? Yeah, I'm not sure which. Anyways, I'll, I'll go first on this one. When Limited space, good shelving that goes as high as you can get. You know, that's that's the best thing. Um, if you are really pressed, like get bookshelves, you can double stack if you want to keep everything in the house. Boxes that are single layer boxes. And by that, I mean, like it was like for outside storage or in a closet storage. Single layer mean meaning you don't stack another layer of games on top of it. You open the box and you see everything that's in there. I also recommend clear totes. We had a whole episode about storage and how we store things that you can check out on our recommendations, but kind of what Tyler was shouting about, if you have limited storage, you should change your collecting habits to only buy the best of the best and the really good stuff and be really condition-oriented and, you know, not buy a bunch of garbage because... If you can only fit three shelves, fill it with gold and you'll look like a baller instead of just like having a bunch of Maddens on there. It's true. Look at my Instagram pictures. Like the background of all my Instagram pictures are a bunch of card only Nintendo games just because that's the most convenient thing for me to take a picture of. And all these people have like their good stuff shelf that they take pictures of all the time. So I I just look like such a scrub because my collection's full of garbage. And I don't think I have much more to say than Johnny already said because everything he said is a good idea. Games don't take up a ton of space. Like, again, like, especially if you get like a bookcase and double stack stuff, like, games are very convenient rectangular prisms. It's probably a bunch of other garbage that you're buying that's taken up the real space. Yeah. Like those boxed Odyssey ad- consoles. You don't, you don't need those. Uh, or like a bunch of amiibos and stuff like that that we don't recommend. Definitely that. Yep. So I think the one thing that I would want to add, um, and this is really kind of speaking to people who do have some manner of game room. It doesn't have to be the biggest game room, but um, you don't have to stick to the walls, right? You have all the, a lot of people don't realize that there is floor space in the center of your room and you can play with that. So if you look at any pictures or, or footage of, of my game room, you'll see a lot of my shelves. I have the edge of, you know, the, the short edge of the shelf against the wall and the shelves are actually coming out into the center of the room like a li- like library shelving. So that's just, that's an option to play with that people, it, people just, 
sometimes it just it doesn't occur to them that they can't that they can not adhere to the walls, right? The, just the walls that you can come out into the floor space. And as long as you can responsibly well, navigate this, the shelving, there's nothing wrong with coming out into the center of the room. Um, I'd like to take some credit for that when, when you, when you did that, I went over there and helped you game plan on that one. Yep, totally. And that's, that is a, um, that is an, a, a not ethic, but a, a, a core tenant of my room design that I always, uh, factor in when I'm redesigning the game room. Um, before we move on to this last question, I would, uh, I just wanted to mention episode 110, how do we organize our game collections, is the name of the uh, podcast episode that Johnny was referring to. We talk a lot about how we organize our game collections. So, uh, so that we go real in depth on that one. So I recommend that for this topic. Last one from me. Guys, are you concerned about disc rot? Is it real or a myth? Can you expand on what to look for? Um, I could probably start. Oh, and this from the gamer Adam. Uh, thanks for the question, man. So I, I think I can start this off. Uh, disc rot is totally a real thing. Um, I actually have a story from back in my early days in the game industry. I had I spent like three or four months of my life re-archiving the digital archive uh, of Disney Interactive Studios because our like hermetically sealed, uh, burned uh, CD storage vaults. They were all deteriorating, and we had to essentially re-archive everything. Um, Discrot looks like, m- most of the time, it looks like pinholes uh, that you can uh, you can see with the naked eye if you have a, like a very strong light. I recommend like an LED light. Even like the light on most phones would work. Um and and you just put it put the light really 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 close to the disc and look at the other side and you can generally see pinholes within the disc and that's that's what disc rot tends to look like sometimes it's more more dramatic like very dramatic flaking but depending on what kind of cd um but i would also mention that it's not something that you have to worry about uh to our knowledge anyway um with modern games it was you know cd's when they were starting out, were made out of garbage, and so that's um, that's why discard occurs. Is the materials that that the, those original runs of CDs um, were made of? That's it's not something that you have to worry about with D- DVDs or um, or Blu-rays or anything modern. It's just it's not a thing. So, but yeah. So as far as whether or not I'm concerned about it, I mean, actually, I think Johnny, let me throw this to you because you had a perfect summary of why we're not concerned about it. Uh, well, because I don't really plan on playing those games, so I will never know. Uh, and also, at, at some point, the the disc in the in the case is the thing that you're after, not the gaming experience that's provided. Because if it's a good enough game or that like of renown, it's probably available on other systems. And honestly, PS One games, the best system to play a PS One game is not on a PS One. That's just fact. So, um, I mean, I'm sure there's someone going to come out. PS5 might support PS1 discs. That would be great. Or is that Xbox? I don't know. Never mind. um, I might have missed a book. Okay. But, um, like, the PS3, there's, you know, some versions can put PS1 games. It has smoothing and faster load time. So, you know, I'm not too worried. And there's also just, like, a, a large digital library of this stuff. And they're constantly doing remakes. So... I'm just not that worried about it. And and I'm not saying it's not real, but 
I also probably won't ever know because that would require me like looking into obscure games and being like, oh no, this has disc rot. So, yeah, um, I think there will eventually be a conversation, like a large conversation at a community level years down the line when, you know, if it if it gets to the point where like a certain generation is almost all rotted, like where the value in the collectible lies, like how much the price of an of a PS1 game will be affected by the fact that it's disc rotted. Like, or do you just want that as the nostalgic, like, oh, I love Warhawk as a kid and now I have Warhawk. It doesn't matter to me that it doesn't work. Um, so the, I think there'll definitely be a conversation around that. I don't pretend to know how that will go because uh, there's still plenty of PS1 games that don't don't have disc rot. So I've seen so much about disc rot. Uh, if you go on Reddit and look for disc rot, they will call anything disc rot. If there's any flaw with a disc, they're like, it's disc rot. All our games are going to die. People call it. Uh, so there, there's oxidation of the data layer. It kind of turns brown. Uh, people call that disc rot. I think that is like traditionally what disc rot is. Uh, and then there's the pinholes too. And then I've seen people say that all CDs from all eras have had pinholes in manufacturing. It's like uh, bubbles that form during the electroplating process. I honestly, I, I don't have any idea, but my games still work right now. I've had one game in the past, however many years that hasn't worked. It wasn't because of disc rot. It was because of a scratch in the data layer. By the way, if a Redditor has a game with a scratch in the data layer, they will call it disc rot. Um, <laughs> and what did I do? I, you know, I went I went to pirated3dogames.com. I downloaded a copy of Star Control 2 and I burned it and I played through the part that was scratched through. So, you know, if, if I can't play disc games in the future, which I don't even know that will actually happen because so far it hasn't affected me besides a damaged disc. Oh, well, I, I, I think... I'm more along the lines of Johnny. Like people will probably want it for the collectible value more than the original gameplay value. Yep. Because there's so many ways to play games, and there's only going to be more in the future. We're going to be streaming games directly to our brains. Hopefully. All right. Uh, you guys ready to move on to the next one? Yep. Yeah. Johnny's so, in his. Uh, let's move it up. Let's hurry. Well, it up. we yeah we are like 60 minutes into an episode, and there's a lot more questions here that so we may not get to all, all of them. Right. Yeah, so uh, that was it for my questions. So, Johnny, I'm going to throw it over to you. All right. So this one comes from Coffee with Mr. Saturn. Would you rather have a worn sealed game or a, mint, or a minty CIB in terms of value? I would absolutely rather have a CIB that is minty because I'm putting it on my shelf and I'm going to look at it and I don't care about sealed games. Uh, yes, sealed games can be valuable. That's great and everything. But I do this for me, not for the money. Stefan? Uh yeah, for me, it's uh, the thing that makes this question difficult is that he says he goes a step further and says in terms of value, and I'm assuming he means monetary value. Um, and right now, sealed games, as far as monetary value is concerned, is where it's at. So if you're asking me right now, in terms of monetary value, if I would rather have a sealed game or a minty CIB game, I'm probably going to say sealed, unless it's like really, really trash. And I have seen that where like, uh, a sealed game has been practically run over by a truck, uh, and it just didn't. It happens to not break the cellophane, but within reason, I would rather. I, from a yeah. monetary perspective, I would rather have. A I mean, if we're just talking monetary, it also depends on the game. Like, what is what does worn mean? Like, there's some rubbing on the plastic, maybe some scratches, or does it mean like 
there's like a hole in the seal. Like what? How right. is there? Is, is there the cat box piss on this is thing? There, like, <laughs> is there like box crushing? Like what's going on? Like dead mint CIB, especially if it's just for me. Anyways, Tyler. Yeah. Once, uh, if there's like a hole in the plastic or there's like a, a dent in a sealed game, it kind of loses appeal to me. Like Stefan said, if we're talking in terms of value, I'd take it for the money. But if we're talking what I would rather have on my shelf, like, I, I see sealed game as like a check plus, like checks you did your homework, sealed, you get a check plus. But <laughs> if your game sucks to begin with and it just has the shrink wrap, I don't, uh, not a lot of appeal. Like I've got a, a Mario Bros for, a, uh, I think it's Atari 2600, it might be Atari 7800. And it's just got a giant hole in the center. And uh, I don't know what it's worth in like these days, who freaking knows, but. If it was for my collection, I'd rather have it mint CIB than that giant hole Super Mario Brothers. All right. So good question. I like that one. Um, this one comes from Reno the Collector. Guys, what are your thoughts on the demise of Retro City Fest? Tyler, I think you're the right guy to answer this one. Yep. Uh, the next question. Uh, what's the stupidest, most worth? <laughs> um, uh, oh, wow. So Retro City Fest, uh, the last interview episode with Retro City Fest, I think is the only Collector's Quest episode I haven't listened to. So those are my thoughts on Retro City Fest. Ouch. Wow. That was, Sorry. That was, <laughs> I just the, don't I, care about Retro City well, Fest. Well, that one was also I turned into uh, what is it like to run a game store and how did that process begin? So you you might find that part of it interesting. Um, but Stefan, I think you can sum up our feelings on this. Sure. You know, uh, Retro City Fest has been very kind to us in the past. It was a very good show, uh, both... Uh, you know, Tyler doesn't have much of an opinion because this is a local show to us and Tyler is not local to us. Uh, so Johnny and I both vended at both of the the iterations of Retro City Fest over the, the last couple of years. Um, Steve, the guy that runs it, is a personal friend of us both. You know, so, um, you know, we're sad to see it go, but it was a really, really solid show. Um, fortunately, in Southern California, we are not want for... Uh, retro game events, uh, be it uh, very small uh, store-driven things or these larger shows like the SoCal Retro Gaming Expo. Um, so um, there's definitely, as far as like things to do, there will be definitely uh, other people to sort of fill the gap that Retro City is, is vacating, but it was a tremendous show. Um, and, you know, they were very... Uh, event driven they liked to have uh they had live music and they had the neo geo international uh competitions and i think tetris the tetris world championships or one of the qualifiers was there one year too um so uh that show was always very event driven and so it was a very active show for people uh, especially if they were like in the in the gaming space as a hobby like a gaming hobby um people who played retro games that was a very very good show for them uh, and there was stuff to buy there too, but uh, and there but yeah. was also like cool displays, like museum style displays that were more interspersed uh, throughout the convention rather than being like just in a museum room that you had to go find, which I liked. The, you know, it was also an event driven, like more specifically towards collectors. So the vendors there were like, a little bit more focused on that, less tchotchke stuff, even though there was some of that. Um, anyway, yeah, it was, you know, I'm sad it's gone. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know if that means it's never coming back or those guys are just done. Um, I'll, I'll miss it. But like, you know, there's a bunch of other little shows and maybe maybe it was just the snake eating its tail 
here in Southern California with too many shows, and that was part of the problem. But um, and, yeah, sad's gone. And the the Southern California kind of retro community is very insular, um, and so it's not like these vendors or these uh, personalities that'll show up to this, you know, that showed up to Retro City Fest aren't going to be accessible. Like there are other shows that they populate. So um, so don't don't worry about you know missing out on a particular vendor or something like that if you went to that show and and now are also sad that to see it go because um, there'll be you know we we all know each other around here so um, so there'll be other opportunities. Um, okay, next question, and I'm gonna mess up this name. Uh, Stein S C. I'm not sure this name. S T. I-A-N-S-C, so however that's pronounced, sorry, my friend. Um, what's the stupidest, most worthless, worthless, idiotic pickup of all time? We had a good laugh when we got this question. Um, <laughs> you seem, you seem very one. angry, my friend. Yeah, we, um, we also weren't exactly sure how to answer this question because, like, what is the... What is the metric of worthless, like uh, right. value-wise or just like the dumbest, like is dumbest the, or stupidest like the most important part? Um, we have varying answers. He uh, does say stupidest and idiotic. So I think yeah. that's probably weighing, weighing heavier on the question. Yeah. So well, we're just going to, we're going to take a stab at uh, big game pickups in the news that have been like a little ridiculous maybe. Um like and I don't know if he maybe meant personally to us. Like, so we're we're gonna do the best we can on this one. Tyler, go ahead. Uh, I don't know the the worst game pickup I've ever had was probably buying a Sega Pico. That that was a long time ago. I actually threw it out. Uh, but the dumbest, stupidest, most worthless game pickup of all time, like historically, uh, I think that's a that's a tough question to answer. Uh, I'm sure somebody went on like OCD reproductions and dropped like a thousand dollars on fake games, but I'm not going to come up with a theoretical situation. Um, I think the one I had the strongest emotional reaction to, and it's pretty recent, but the, uh, the $1,000 not for resale halo on heritage auctions, not the $9,000 one. That's a close runner up. There's two, two $9,000 ones, uh, but the complete in box one, because I, I specifically have three copies of that game. And they've been on eBay for like 40 bucks now, which is way more than they used to be, uh, but reliably for like 40, 50 bucks. Um, so I'm going to say the thousand dollar not for resale Halo. That's a good answer. Stefan, do you got one? I do. Uh, this is actually extremely recent. And I'll, I'll answer this question as like um, one, you know, a, a sale that like made my my ears perk up and go, how did that happen? Recently, there it was a trade, actually. It was a 8.0 Nintendo World Championship gray cart that got traded for a Brady rookie card that was valued at, I think the article said, $163,000 or $168,000. Now, for context, if people don't track NWC sales, um, the the runner-up for most expensive cash sale and at the time it was like also considered overpaying um was a $42,000 sale so then to jump from $42,000 in cash to 150 plus let's just say for sake of argument 150 plus in trade uh over the course in that uh, that $42,000 sale was like a few months ago so um to have it jump that dramatically in such a short amount of time 
made me made me pay attention and go, oh, that uh, I don't understand why that was a good trade. Because also, um, I believe the person who bought that card, it wasn't like he pulled it out of a pack, uh, you know, a two dollar pack when he was, you know, whatever, 12. Um, this guy bought this card, I believe, on Heritage Auction for not a small sum of money. So he had a large investment. Because a lot of times when you see these like really lopsided trades, it's because someone has a very low monetary in- in- initial investment, so they care less about the actual current value of the item. So, um, But this guy seemed to pay a significant amount of money for the card and then trade it straight across for an NWC card, uh, NWC card. And that, that is questionable. So I, I like, um, all the articles about this were kind of framing it like, wow, Nintendo world championships was traded for this crazy expensive card. I like the people who frame it more like, wow, this $130,000 card just got dumped for a $40,000 video game. How much has this crashed overnight? I think framing it like that's a lot funnier. Yeah, I agree. Um, that is, it is much funnier to think of it that way. So mine, and so I got a few. Uh, we'll, we'll go with anyone who went out and bought variant IM 8-bit carts, like the glow-in-the-dark Street Fighter, for a premium <laughs> price on eBay. All 2,000 of you are the dumbest. No, no, no. <laughs> the, like, the people who went out specifically and bought the glow-in-the-dark ones for like $500 on eBay guys Mm -hmm. stop that or any of the weird variant uh you know cow uh earthworm gyms any of that stuff uh mainly because i like to make fun of im8 bit not really uh deride you guys for your purchases the 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 million dollar like gumshoe and double golf and some other black box games was a sale that made me go and like they're sealed i guess right tower these were sealed Yes, but it made me I go. There's a Castlevania in there. Yeah, I just that made was me go. The most exciting what? thing. Yeah, yeah, for me, absolutely. But it's very weird. It's a weird sale, and I was just like, I'm not excited about any of the games you're talking about, unless it's Castlevania. So, and it was one of those things where like the average came out, and Tyler, you probably can correct me on this number if I'm wrong, but I think it was something like an average of like thirty thousand dollars a game. It was like thirty to forty games, I think. So yeah, something like twenty five, thirty thousand dollars a game. Yeah, it's a lot so, of money for every game to be worth that much. They all got to be bangers. All got to be bangers. They all got to be bangers. Um, and you know, to be fair, in the current market, that may be fine, but it's just it's such a striking number to me that I'm just like, what is going pretty sure that was the point see i feel like uh, like kind of all of our answers are like these kind of market manipulating things that were meant to make headlines like i feel like the halo kind of thing that was probably a mistake more than anything but definitely that trade was supposed to make headlines specifically for nintendo world championships and maybe to get that card in the news as well yeah i'm sure they were calling their publicists right after that trade you know like (laughs) yeah anyways so uh, those are our answers. Hope we hope we gave you a sufficient answer. Okay, uh, Mountain Dew Livewire says okay. Uh, so <laughs> we have no response there. Uh, what is this? Shipley Pet Solutions asks, "Do you guys think retro TVs and other peripherals will make a comeback, a la record players?" If you mean, do I think there will be a resurgence of manufacturing new CRT televisions? No, I do not. Um, it's just incredibly, incredibly expensive to make CRTs, especially now. 
Um, I'm sure there's probably a dark factory out there that someone could probably buy and and spin up and make new ones. But um, I don't think that there's a cost a cost benefit issue here where it's going to cost so much money to make CRT televisions in 2020 that you would have to sell them at an obnoxious premium and people are still able to get CRTs, you know. Okay, well, so. don't, don't take it that way. Let's talk about people who are buying just like uh, vintage records and record players to play their vintage records on well, that way. Well, then I think I think it's, I mean, the comeback's already here, right? If you're in the hobby at the... Uh, you know, there's plenty of gamers that already that are currently using CRT televisions, and there's more and more ways to make you know to connect systems to lots of different types of televisions. But but uh, but there is a cult following that is not a, you know terribly small of people who prefer to game on retro uh, on retro equipment. So there's plenty of people still buying CRTs, and especially if you're looking at high end CRTs, there's a whole subculture around that so. and there's a there's a few dummies still buying like weird expensive vhs's a vhs yeah, players. that's me he's talking about me yeah that's a shot at stefan okay, <laughs> really cool like, vcr johnny i no, wish i had that not. vcr there is no <laughs> such thing as a cool vcr check your reality there is not stop it stop polluting i'm gonna this put podcast a cool vcr on my wedding registry no you should no absolutely not you're an idiot I'm, now I'm taking personal shots at you. Oh, my God. I'll just fight you on this. I apologize for my outburst. Tyler, <laughs> go ahead with a, an opinion. <laughs> uh, CRTs are super niche, and I don't think they're going to get any less niche. CRTs suck. They have bad image quality. Uh, good ones are super tiny. Like, the holy grail of PVMs is, like, 24 inches, and people... People have big living rooms now, and there are people who have a CRT, and they sit across the living room from it, and it looks like it sucks, to me, anyway. Um, I, I see people, when, like, an FPGA console gets announced, people go nuts. They're like, yes, I want to play this on my HDTV Super Sharp. When, like, a $70 emulator console comes out, people go bananas, because people want it to be cheap, and they want it to be easy, and they want to play it on their current TV. So, I just don't think... I think everyone who has a who wants a CRT has one... And it's not going to come back like records where we're seeing like CRT related things on Amazon. Well, and p part of it too, I think, is that there's not like there's no type of media that's like specific to CRTs that can only be played on CRTs, except for maybe like I don't know, light gun games. But Mike Tyson's it's not like out. so like like record players are not a one to one comparison here, right? Because th there is a specific type of media, records that have to be played. On record players. Yeah, but uh, like original so. Nintendo games, like the look and feel of them were designed around that aesthetic. So, I, I mean, I can see what why they're asking this. Sure. No, for sure. But I, I'm just saying it's not a really clean comparison because of that, right? Because at some point to play a record, you need a record player. Well, I mean, if you want to like if you want to listen to a bad version of Dark Side of the Moon, you can get the record. If you want the good version, you get the CD. If you want to play a bad version of Super Mario Brothers, play it on your CRT. You want a good version, play it on your real TV. Send your hate mail to at defaultgen at wow. Instagram.com. You just alienated a lot of people. <laughs> I, didn't, I couldn't keep track Records of how many bullshit. ways I disagreed with you. Like... Oh my God. <laughs> uh, I'm with you. I'm I'm with you on the record. People say, "Oh, it's a warmer sound." Like I don't I don't really care. Um, I like I like what I like, and that's fine. And people, I I mean, I have some really friends who are audiophiles. Like they look at 
like, oh my God, you're, it's not like FLAC lossless. Like, what are you doing? Like, I'm like, I'm okay with it just being an MP3, guys. Uh, they're like, that is garbage. And, you know, they get really elitist on me. Well, that's fine. Happens. Um, I don't know if they're going to ever make a comeback. And here's what I see as a better solution than that is I think there'll be TV makers who recognize that people might want some of this capability and they will be able to build emulation into uh, new brands of TV that kind of do that, um, that will better emulate what the CRT experience was and uh, allow people to plug in newer consoles that replicate that CRT feel. And that's all I got on that. So we ready to move on. Anyone else got anything on that? No, do it. Okay. Uh, R.Y. Holland says, what dollar amount would you sell your entire collection for? Stefan. Two and a half million dollars and I take PayPal. Uh, no. Uh, so I don't know that I have a clean answer for this just because there are a couple pieces because uh, he does use the word entire in caps. Uh, so yeah. uh, there are a couple items that I would not sell in any circumstance, um, particularly. And I've ta- told the story a million times here, but the uh, copy of Stadium Events that my late wife purchased for me, um, that's staying with me. I'm going to be buried with that thing. So I would definitely need a caveat there where I could like take out the really sentimental pieces. But, um, but yeah, two and a half million dollars. Come at me. Okay. Tyler? <laughs> I don't even know. Like, would I take two and a half million? Yeah, probably. But I don't yeah, want to sell it, so I like I wouldn't even pick any kind of reasonable number. I wouldn't take one million. I got too much goddamn time and effort in this to sell my stuff for one million. I'm oh, greedy. Come at, come at me with a million dollars. Yeah, I know. Let's, go let's go talk. at Johnny. Johnny will sell anything. Like I, I, I have enough money to stay happy in my life. What would I do with money? I would go out and buy video games, and I don't have the time <laughs> to go out and buy all this stuff again. So like it, you're basically giving me the money to get out of the hobby forever or like ruin the next five years of my life. So it would be a, <laughs> a disaster either way. You're still young, Tyler. You got five years, man. I work like 11 hour days, dude. It's I, I got to go home and I don't want to be shopping for, Oh, I gotta, I gotta find another copy of Contra. That's just like, just right uh, in this world where like everyone is hoarding the super mint games just yeah the the idea of it is is much less appealing in this new world we live in but yeah for i mean i don't know what the exact money is but like a million dollars i'm definitely talking to you if you if you're like i have a million dollars here it's like hmm well let's have a conversation about that um because you know i i know what i would do with a million dollars and it wouldn't be the end of video games for me i know that so you know, Johnny definitely Johnny like by far has more games than either of us, Stefan, and his price is less than half of ours. Yeah. I love it. Yep. So Johnny, someone's gonna come at you with a million dollars. I mean, if someone comes at me with a million dollars, we'll have a serious I talk mean, about it. Somebody came at somebody with a million dollars and bought, bought 30, 30 games. games. You could get fifteen thousand games for the same price. What a yeah, deal. Exactly. Not fifteen thousand, only like ten. Ooh, oh, 10 or 11 and, and there are a lot of wii games in there so there are, there are of, a thousand wii games in that a 10, lot of cib game boy games though i mean there come are, on, guys. there's yeah, some there pretty good a, sealed game boy games there's some sealed ones there's some good super nintendo just come at me let's have a talk johnny ain't no slouch <laughs> i'm excited for a conversation i'll be hearing I, about in a week. yeah i seriously actually wanted this to happen i, I want there to be a i want there I to be an update where johnny has sold everything yeah I, I don't think anyone's coming at me with like at least a million dollars 
but that's our starting point. That's uh, there are people who live in Dubai and stuff who have a lot of money. They're in that. They're in that water graded games group. So uh, like, there are people uh, who put their collections on eBay, and it's very clearly like my collection, where it's just like this is all the stuff I collected over the past fifteen years. And it's like not worth anything. And they put it up for like $400,000 or something like totally stupid. But Johnny, you've got good stuff. And I know you've got lots of really actually complete collections. Yeah. So someone buy Johnny's collection, get him out of the hobby, and then the podcast will be over. No. See, that's the thing. I wouldn't be out of the hobby. That's that's the other crazy thing. I would not. Yeah, I would just like reevaluate. I forgot. I, I mean, I like the process of collecting. So... Uh, I mean, when I, I bought the, the Genesis set from you and you bought most of it again, <laughs> like almost immediately. Yep. <laughs> so that's how I am. Okay. Uh, Nestosterone, uh, our most roid fueled uh, friend, he, he, our beef cakeiest uh, friend. Um, I like him, but make fun of him uh, and his gigantic muscles. Uh, what would it cost you to sell the Ness and Ness collection? Happens he wins the lottery. Well, I think we just kind of talked about it, pal. This is the so, same uh, question. How did we get the same question? Yeah. Man. Yeah. So I, I think we answered that. It's funny because it's they're right next to each other, too. Um, well, and but for me, too, like that would like my two and a half million dollars for everything like that would be an easier decision than like, oh, you're just taking the two sets that I care the most about and then leaving me with all the other shit. like that would be a much harder conversation for me. Like I would sooner sell my everything for like an absorbent amount of money then i would like have you take two sets that i love and then leave me with all this stuff that it would oh, you see i'm the opposite like if they came out with like a stupid offer because like on like 75 percent of my stuff is card only it's like what i'll do nes and snes again what i'm not gonna do again is like hunt down rare homebrew and like genesis manuals that pop up once every six months and things like that but it's because it's all loose really yeah, like my NES set would probably be easier for me to sell than my Super Nintendo set, honestly. Yeah, me too. Um, just because I, I love Super more. And the games that I really love on the NES, I would be happy to go rebuy Super, like spend a lot of money on super nice copies of just a few of them. Like, oh no, I don't have the black and the blue flam- family feud anymore. Oh no, like that's fine. Uh, those can go away. You know that that would be that, that would be real toxic. I I but I don't know what the specific number is. It would be expensive. Um, okay, Velvet the Elf. Um, so we're gonna did answer one. Skip one. Oh, we did. Sorry. Okay. Uh, we'll we'll go back to it since I've already said Velvet the Elf. Uh, I'm sorry you you wrote this question and I'm not sure exactly what you're trying to get to, but you have two questions. So you wrote, is there a console system that is especially difficult to give sealed it? has directly value. And I'm sure that's a bad autocorrect somewhere, and I don't, but we couldn't parse what it was. So I'm going to go to your other question, which is, what is the meaning behind default gen and Archon? No one wants to know the meaning behind Johnny, huh? <laughs> yeah. No. Well, everyone so, knows that Archon is based on the game Archon, the battle chess game. But That uh, is not true. I've, uh, but... I've gone over default gen before. It is actually short for default Genesis, or it was shortened by that. Uh, I used to play Tribes RPG, which was a star, uh, star, a star siege tribes mod back in the day. It was Chess very box. easy to mess up your character uh, because games weren't for children back then. You put your points into leveling up, and then it's like, oh, I 
fucked up my entire character. God damn it. I have to make a new character. So I had dozens of characters and default was right above Genesis and then just became default Genesis. Uh, Archon, everyone thinks that it's the battle chess game for NES. <laughs> uh, it is not. Or, and, and PC. And PC was probably the first SKU, right? First print? What, I have what? no idea. I would have said Commodore 64. But uh, anyway, so uh, there is a game uh, called Archon, obviously, uh, and I have signed a copy of it before. Uh, but that's not the the uh, the genesis the default genesis of my name. Uh, Archon actually refers to EverQuest. I was a big EverQuest kid. I actually almost flunked out of high school because of EverQuest. So I played that a lot. I was a cleric, and in the Planes of Power expansion for EverQuest, uh, they started to give titles. Uh, and Archon was one of the titles that the uh, the clerics got uh, historically. And Archon is like a high ranking official in a in a church or religion. Um, so that's where uh, Archon came from. It was actually originally the name. If you've been following me for any length of time, uh, was Archon Turtle, uh, and that was spun out of my uh, originally before I collected video games. I collected Ninja Turtles very passionately for thirty years. That's oh, where... that's where the turtles from. Yeah, I learned something. Yeah, so uh, originally, yeah, there's a there's a forum out there called uh, the Technodrome, which is like the big elitist Ninja Turtles forum. Uh, I both do and do not recommend you go check it out. But that's where the original name was from. Was I was trying to figure out some spin on Turtle, and I was really, uh, I was really into EverQuest at the time. Uh, so yeah, there it is. Archon is a reference to EverQuest. Okay. So now let's go back to DJ Doherty's question, and it's, will sealed Nintendo games keep this momentum? Um, I'll go first on this one. Do it. Uh, yes, but I'm not sure over what length of time. Uh, I'm not, I mean, obviously, most markets go flat at a point, uh, but I, I think for the next year, at least, we can expect this kind of movement on sealed Nintendo games. I was actually just talking to another friend about how we kind of expect this to play out a little bit as sealed Nintendo starts to dry up. I'm assuming it will mimic like back in the early days of Nintendo age when everyone was just super hot and bothered about NES and that's what they focused on and they really dug deep on. And then they started to branch out into like super Nintendo and other systems. I'm, I'm assuming we'll see kind of that same trend. Um, but if you just meant specifically NES games for Nintendo, then yeah, I think for at least a, another year, we, we've got this momentum that will keep going. I, I don't know if, um, you know, there's been indicators of of recession coming. So pending, if that's like a true indicator and uh, true, we're in an entirely different economic situation. But uh, the reverse interest curve, if you guys know anything about that, um, has been seven out of seven times a clear indicator of recession. It's successfully predicted that. But it, now we have a president who is more unpredictable and he plays chicken with the economy quite a bit. So, um, you know, like him or lump him, he, you know, he is not conventional. So conventional rules may not apply, even though we've hit this uh, reverse interest rate. And that's like, if you don't know what that is, it's like long-term Long-term investment versus short-term investment of money. Normally, the longer money is held, uh, you can expect it to be worth more versus short-term gains. But that is flipped. We have an inverse on that curve. Um, you can you can read all about that. I don't want to bore anyone with that. 
But if the recession comes, maybe like collectibles are always the first thing to die. And, you know, if, if we start to plummet into a recession, I can't see the momentum on sealed games keeping up. So with that big caveat, but if uh, things stay normal, then yes, that's my answer. Johnny, you actually sparked a question for you when you were talking about this uh, and the recession. So do you think if we were hit with like a, a countrywide or a global recession, do you see like, yes, I agree that 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 collectibles are the first things to get hit and or non-essentials are the first thing to get hit. Uh, so it would definitely take a dump. Would you see it returning as the economy improved? Would you see it returning to anywhere near where it is now? Well, I mean, that really depends on the scope of the recession, right? If it's like a 90s level recession, um, for not for a little while. I mean, everything rebounds. Um, look at games through 2007. Games like games made it through the 2007 recession and improved and didn't take a huge dump, right? Um, but we're talking about sealed Nintendo games at that level. Like if we're just talking about games in general, I think carts and stuff would rebound and I think it would become a buyer's market for sealed. So yes, I think some of that would recover and eventually would fully recover and then surpass it. Um, as long as we don't go into some like weird global famine and the world becomes uh, Mad Max and we don't know what the f is going on anymore uh, with all those caveats. Yes, but I, I think it takes a while because we're now just seeing prices at points we've never dreamed games of really being at. You know, realistically, we can start talking about what the first million dollar game will actually be, right? Um, that's like a real question now. Like that could be Didn't answered. Steve Jobs buy Mega Drive Tetris for a million or something like that? Uh, Someone send me uh, that story. Well, I, don't I mean, it. yeah, there, there might be like a one off like that, but I'm talking on like a mainstream, like yeah. NES, you know, uh, game where we could get there. So, yeah, I mean, I just don't see that rebounding very quickly through a recession. But if I think for at least a year pending no recession, we can you can expect to see this kind of momentum going. And there's a lot of new people still getting into it. And like comic collectors are just starting to hit this hobby. New YouTube channels are coming out of the woodwork to talk about this yeah. stuff. I mean, I just saw a guy in a giant cowboy hat throwing <laughs> throwing up like videos about comics versus games i like i i just don't know the world anymore uh like people are you know like and i just read like comments from people like i'm a comic collector first but i'm just getting into games so yeah we're, we're kind of in a brand new world I, I think this is still the beginning and tyler sent me a really funny comment once and i forget what it was what game was it that sold for like a ton of money it was like a garbage game and you're like that we're nowhere near the peak of the bubble uh, what was that comment? What game was that about, Tyler? What? I have no idea what you're talking about. You sent it in our thread. You're like, we're nowhere near the the bubble because some game sold for a ridiculous sum of money, like a, a gross nonsense game. I'll see if I can find it. But um, you guys can. Right, you go look ahead for and... that. Well, I guess I'll give my response to the yeah. bubble question. Uh, I also I don't think that like this bubble's not stopping or or changing anytime soon. I don't think there's. There's too many people that still have a lot of money to pump in. I think like the idea is to sort of prime the pump, so to speak, of the game collecting market. And I think that is still happening. Uh, they need to get to the point where it will be self-fueling. One of my favorite things to do is to track. I, I realize social media isn't everything. I think I've said this on the show before. Go look at the show off your Wada Games group, which is, as far as I could tell, one of the main places that 
the sealed uh, the sealed collectors congregate now. That's a, and that's on Facebook. Um, yes. Uh, just to interject real quick, it was the sealed case of crisscross games for the Sega CD <laughs> that oh, got yeah. graded. Okay, that was uh, Dennis posted that on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> someone sent in a factory sealed case of a uh, uh, make my video crisscross to get graded, which is some. It's someone hilarious. found like hundreds of those, right? Wasn't that that was a that was a pickup, like a warehouse pickup from a, a while ago, right? And I think there were like hundreds and hundreds of copies originally. I don't remember uh, crisscross. I know like in excess, you uh, maybe not now, but like you could get a sealed copy of that for like fifteen bucks, yeah. uh, not that long ago. Um, but anyway, what I was saying, like go look at the the water group, see how much it's growing over time, and I totally recognize not everybody who's buying stuff or is into it is going to join the Facebook group for that thing, but the water group literally grows by like fifteen people a month. It's not like there's a surge of comic people coming in at the high end and that they're they're ready to kind of cause this frenzy yet um so some of the frenzy is artificial and uh i think it is mostly going to continue because that is the goal right yeah i don't and i don't think i have anything more to add to this only that you know the the question was will it continue momentum and uh, obviously i don't think you know infinitum or you know on or even really on a super long term but um but do I think it still has legs? Like, do I think there's still room to grow? Absolutely. Like, we haven't, we're nowhere near the ceiling, like like uh, Tyler was saying. We've, so. There are game like, there are big games that haven't been sold on Heritage Auctions. And the first time a game hits Heritage Auctions, it gets, like, the first time this has been up for sale, quote-unquote, bump. Like, so, like, this, like the $75,000 Mega Man. Sure. Like, the market needs to stabilize. Um, and I think whether it's going to go like it's it's going to crest at some point and probably dip a little bit and then stabilize uh but i still think we're in the kind of everything's on fire phase not that you should i mean make your money if you can i guess but like don't don't go crazy fomo on it agreed all right so do you all think the video game prices on ebay are just insane so um no i'm well i mean yes you'll always find insane prices on ebay but that's not where like the insane prices are happening those are happening on heritage right because that's a very very niche market that's pointed directly at its niche right um but uh i mean i've found i think all of us can say that we've found some really really stellar deals on ebay from time to time um but hot hot take on average ebay is where i find my Best deals and has the best prices. eBay, especially yeah. when you get a coupon. One hundred percent, eBay is the best place to buy video games. What do you? You people are crazy. No offense to our listener, we love you. Yeah. That was retro eclipse. PT yes. Debs. I mean, I, I think I think this where the spirit of this comes from is you know it's like people are used you know still remember the days of finding things at flea markets and that kind of thing. So yes, obviously compared to paying fifty cents for a. Hagane that you happen to find in a pile of baby clothes at a flea market is going to be dwarfed by, you know, paying hundreds of dollars for it on eBay. So in that regard, it's crazy. But uh, I think eBay is one of the best adjudicators for the market, right? Like, so by that token, no, they're not insane because if they're selling on eBay, if something's selling on eBay regularly for X price, then that's what the market will bear for that item. And so, so no. Um, by and large, I do not think that eBay prices are insane, uh, in that regard. If there's something that has a ton of listings on eBay, that means that you can set 45 snipes, just 
every time it comes up, set a snipe that's like 25% less than market value. And one day, if you're setting enough of these snipes, you're going to win stuff for like 25% less than market value. And you're going to be that weird listing you see in completed listings that's like, how did that guy get that deal? Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I don't find a ton of buy it now deals, but the auctions are the best. On the flip side, if there's something that never comes up for auction, Batman Gotham City Racer, just like a weird, obscure game that I've been looking for recently, uh, an auction for that could come up and no one could be looking for it that same week it's up and you might get a really good deal on that. So either side of the coin, eBay is the best place to buy games. PS1? At, at worst, you're paying the market price for something because someone is always an underbidder for you. Just tell me, are you talking about the PS1 version or the Game Boy Color or which one? I'm talking about the PS1 version. Everybody go out and buy Batman Gotham City Racer, um, Hidden Gem. It's like the ooze. The ooze. Someone had some some talk back about your, they were upset about your ooze commentary. Um, All right. Oh, what did Uh, I say about the ooze? I've never even played the ooze. You've just been down on the ooze lately. Oh, I'm sorry. Guys, ooze is going to $100 by 2025. Let's do it. Stop talking about the ooze. No one, you're not an expert. Okay, Tyler? Uh, On the ooze anyways. Um, I'm I'm not. Do we claim to be experts on anything? Yes, we do. Oh, okay. Never mind. Do we? Some yeah, that, people just claim that for us. No, uh, we are Keep experts sending me on pictures something. of sealed games to authenticate, guys. I am I'm totally an expert at authenticating sealed games. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, there are there are things. I mean, I'm not too proud to say it. there are definitely areas in the video game world there. I am 100 an expert. I could testify in a court about them. Anyways, um, I you know we've just said everything we're going to say about this, and I I agree with all of that. Um, but I agree mainly with Stefan's point that like a lot of the sentiment that, oh my God, games are expensive. And I remember when, like, we all have a little bit of that. I mean, I get, we just went in the last show where I talked about how many games I bought for X amount of dollars in 2007 versus 2018 and what a big disparity that is. Um, so yeah, I get that, but no, I think eBay is a good place to buy games. That phenomenon is not just games. It's not just collectibles. It's literally every market ever. You know, it's like my, my parents, $2 million house that they paid $130,000 for in 1981, right? Like every market ever has that FOMO of like, oh, this used to be cheap and now it's expensive. So it's not, it's just the way the world works. It's economics, kid. Sorry. Okay, Jasonic the Kid asks, and I'll just answer this one. We don't all need to answer this. Will Collector's Quest begin interviewing again? First suggestion, read the Game Shark. Yes, we will. Uh, and Stephanie even yeah, asked me this. Drop in. Yeah, we were just talking about this. Um, so, yes, part of the problem with this is uh, Stefan's life has been uh, in a bit of upheaval lately. I think that's fair to say. Mine has fair. as well for different reasons. Um, you know, we're trying to figure things out. The problem with that is I like to respect people's time, uh, unless it's Tyler's, which I'm, we're always abusing him and making him stay on this podcast late, but it's hard to throw a, another person into that and be like, we have these insane schedules and we all want to be here and we all want to talk and we don't know exactly the day and we're kind of planning it the week of like that kind of stuff gets old for people who want to come on the show. Uh, but we have talked to red about this and at the last at portland i was like yeah you need to come on the show and we need to we need to do an import show with red so yes i would like to have red on the show yes we will return to some interviews but they will stay inconsistent um 
at least for the time being, because I, I just don't want to like there was I forget it was Dennis I think when we were trying to get him on initially and it took us like six months because his stuff fell through and then like I had to keep changing the times on him and that just didn't feel good for anybody. So yeah, I, or I like just don't... when you did the you did that one podcast with the book collector where you had basically had to do it twice, right? Uh, that wasn't um. That wasn't her fault. That was no, audio no. But failure. like things, I'm just saying, like, things happen, right? Like stuff yeah, yeah. like that yeah, influences I mean, our our want to do this. Yep. So, um, yeah, and that's the other thing with interviews. You can't guarantee people's equipment. I know what Stefan has. I know what Tyler has, and Tyler knows what we have. So, you know, we are equipped to do interviews a, a little bit easier. Like it's easier if, if I just go out and do one interview. Cause then I'm only planning mine, but like someone with red, who's a friend uh, of the show and of us, like we'd all want to be here and talk to him. And that's when it's very specific to games. That's part of the problem is I want all the guys on the podcast talking and that's also not easy. So it's just logistically not the easiest thing, but yes, I miss it too. And I want more of it. It, and it will come back at some point. All right. Also, not not for nothing, Tyler does all our editing out of the kindness and goodness of his heart. Right. And the more people you add to a podcast, the more difficult it is to edit. So if we have three of us, which is already a lot, and then you add one or two more people to that, you know, it, it's difficult on Tyler. And so we want to respect him as well. True. Absolutely. And uh, I don't like interviews and I'll never push for them. No offense to Red or any of our guests. I love you. I love talking to you guys. I just... If there's an interview on a podcast, I personally skip it when I'm personally listening to podcasts. So I'm really? the worst. Why, I do. why is that? I just, uh, so I'm like, I'm listening to Hardcore History. They have the Hardcore History addendum, and half of those addendum episodes are him interviewing historians, and half of them are just him talking by himself. I just listened to the ones where he's talking by himself. I go to that show to listen to Dan Carlin's voice, and that's all I want to hear coming out of my iPad speakers. Okay. You know what? You know what's interesting is for me, um, this show, recording the show, and like really as much as we care about our audio quality, has affected my ability to want to listen to interview segments for other podcasts because generally, in in this space anyway, uh, interviews are happening at maybe shows where like there's a bunch of other people in the room that's also getting interviewed and it's... Um, it's with like their travel equipment. And so like the audio quality, a lot of the times for interview portions um, is, is not great. And that is 100% the fault of this show because I really care about our audio quality um, that it's difficult for me to, to listen to interview segments where the audio quality is not great. Yeah, I mean, I, that's a concession to all interviews. So I forgive any show that does that and they, they take a dip in their audio quality. Like I was saying, for you sure. can't guarantee like if, what other people have and stuff. So, I mean, what are you going to do? Um, all right. I think we thoroughly answered that. This one. Hey, GameCube Freak Games. Why is Yoshi Safari the only Nintendo published SNES cart with a purple top stripe? We got no idea. We looked through this like we think maybe it could have been an indicator of Super Scope, but then that didn't bear out when we tried to do a little research. on. I have no ideas. Guys, do you have any other ideas we didn't come up with? No, but we did legitimately research this. Like we, before the show, we in our in our pre-show, we we did look into it, and we didn't didn't come up with anything. So if somebody listening does know, add us in the comments, and we'll make sure that we get your message to GameCube Freak Games. To to fill people in, uh, most Nintendo games have a red stripe on top of the cartridge, and 
most third-party games have a purple stripe. It, it seems to be close to a rule, but not quite a rule. Uh, I'm guessing it's just messed up and they weren't, they didn't care. Someone copy-pasted the wrong template. Yeah, because that's a good answer, too. Because the, fa- the fact that nobody knows what it is means the guy who designed the cartridge probably didn't know the difference between red and purple. Possibly. He could have been colorblind. Pasting a template. That's it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Cecil Dredge asks, your collection in the unfortunate case of divorce, will you give half of it up? Tyler, you're about to be married, and for some reason, it doesn't work out. Are you giving up half of your collection? Does Ada care? What, what's your answer on this? Uh, Ada would not want half of my collection. I would happily <laughs> give it to her, but uh, she... She knows to go to you, I think. <laughs> you, you're the person who would be wholesaling it. So uh, you'd potentially be wholesaling my own collection back to me, um, which would be very funny. Yeah, but, I, can't, um, I can't hook you up. We got to take care of Ada. Yeah. I mean, I'm, we're going to be fair, but, you know, at least you know the condition of everything in it. Yeah, I, I'm not at all worried about that getting married because I have this uh, very illiquid, ridiculous video game collection and she's been saving money her entire life. So she's the one who needs to worry about a divorce, not me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Shots fired, Ada. That's right. Okay. Um, she's not Stephen... even reacting. She's sitting right next to me and she's not even reacting. Uh, she knows what's Give me the finger now. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, this so is, I'm the one that's... Uh, this yeah, I, I, Stefan, how are you answering this? Sure, I'm the one that's not currently married. Um, oh, but, whoa, whoa, uh, married forever, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I've actually thought about this, and there are two things that um, I'm going to be very. Pra- if I do get married again, I'm going to be very, very practical about it. Um, and there, there are two things that are going to go in a prenuptial agreement, and that's this house because it belongs to my daughter. Um, this was this house was paid for 100 percent by the life insurance proceeds of her mother's policy. So uh, this house belongs to Piper. So it's going in a prenup and uh, and this collection would also go in a prenup. So, no, I would not give up half of it because if I do get married again, they are going to uh, agree to not take half of it. So there you go. Um, yeah. Just uh, getting a lot less super likes on your grinder profile, Stefan. Yeah. Now that yeah. people heard that. That's right. Yeah, they're, they're, in, it, they're in it for the game collection. So uh, Carly does not want these games. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't. But if we got a divorce, you know, I, I, I'm not worried. You know, in a divorce, I'm not worried about stuff. And people say, why can you put a collect price on your collection? I'm someone who's lost all of my stuff multiple times throughout life. And I tell people it's just stuff. Like in, in a fire, I'm not trying to grab this stuff. In a divorce, in a divorce, I'm not trying to fight too hard for this stuff. If Carly wants it and she thinks she can sell it or she wants me to help her sell it and that, that money goes to JD, who is my son, then great. Then this is just stuff and I will, uh, it would be a very unfortunate situation, but I'd be happy to do that because I would be still trying to take care of my son and my wife. And I'm, I'm not trying to be like all noble and shit, but uh, you know, it just, they're just games guys that I don't care that much. And, I, I don't look at this as my investment or my retirement. And I, I mean, it also helps that I don't think that's ever happening to me. And like, I'll, I'll knock on some wood or whatever needs to happen there. But I also know Carly doesn't want it. And like, the other thing is, yeah, the game collection is worth something. But also what a pain in the ass to try and sell it. So it, it would just become like a job. 
and she does not want that job. You should tell her to come to me. Okay. Because Ada's going to you. Yeah, I mean, we I have people that she knows to like talk to. Um, you would be one of the people she would go talk to, or you and she should probably talk uh, to Stefan. She's a lot closer. Uh, well, she would like one of the people she would talk to is probably bounce off you, Stefan, and Eric. Um, Eric is like a good market guy, and then my friend Mike, who just he does, uh, he is a IT professional, but he also. Uh, runs like a card shop and stuff. So she would talk to him because he knows how to sell and move collectible product. So he would understand the mechanics of that, even if he doesn't know the values, he would know how to find values and stuff. And I can, uh, I have a short story that can vouch for Johnny's apathy towards physical goods. Uh, A couple years ago, we get fires regularly in our area. Johnny and I just live up the road from each other. And uh, we get fire, very large brush fires in our area. And there was a year where Johnny and Carly were on vacation to the UK, I think. Yep. And there was a moment where I was pretty fucking sure Johnny's house was going to burn down, like within reason. And so I'm on the phone with him and I'm like, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to like, I will break into your house and take and like ninja your games now if you want. Like, and I was serious. I was ready to like break glass. And uh, and his response was basically meh. So in a in a in a situation where there was a reasonable fear that like his his collection might burn down, uh, Johnny was very uh, apathetic about the physical goods. He was hey. more concerned with my safety uh, breaking into his house than he was for the uh, than the physical objects. Absolutely, because I'm always gonna one hundred percent. Games are replaceable. Even some of my stuff that would be super hard and maybe never replaced. It's never going to be worth uh, a risk to someone like a maiming or forever injury, you know, it's just, or a death, like heaven forbid, like that's just, it's just stuff. It's not that I don't love my game collection. I obviously, I love making databases about it. I love researching it. It's what I was doing before this podcast, not even for this podcast for myself. That's how we got to a podcast. I love games. I love my collection, but I, I just, I value people who I find to be more irreplaceable, uh, far more than just this stuff. So that's so it. Thank not, you for not... that uh, theoretical question about divorcing our wives. Yeah. Good so, question. Yeah, right. So, yeah, Cecil, uh, nice work. We have someone who recently lost his wife and one guy who's about to get married. <laughs> so, ouch. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. I know he did not mean it like that at all, and we don't need to put him <laughs> like uh, on the spot like that, but kind of funny timing um, in a in the way that uh, that can be funny for people like Stefan and I, who, who I know Stefan can laugh at that. JR92SS454 asks, do y'all believe the TurboGrafx Mini will bring new people to collect for the TG16 slash Duo? And I'll throw in Turbo CD as well on that. Uh, Stefan, um, you hate Turbo Graphics. You talk about it. <laughs> I don't hate Turbo Graphics. I love Turbo Graphics. I have almost a complete set. Uh, did we see this happen with Nintendo when the minis came? Like, are we seeing this? No. Nope. With mini systems? Uh, no. People, right. Not people really. People are collecting the mini systems. Right. It's yeah. the craziest thing. Like the, the theoretically, the people that this is going to are the people who. You know, the, the the demographic that these products are pointed at is the people who just want their, like, quick fix and want an easy way to connect these systems to a modern television without having to go through the hoops that people like us go through. 
Yeah, I just don't I don't think historically we've seen it even for the real real big systems like like Nintendo. So, I don't have any reason to believe that we'll see it for this one either. So, the the NES Classic and to a lesser extent the SNES Classic kind of came out right when the Nintendo market was really cooling off. You know, you might say plateauing. And some people actually point to the NES Classic I'm pretty sure reserved investments would do this and say that's what caused the Nintendo market to cool down. Uh, I thought the opposite. I thought that it was going to get people interested in NES and get them collecting. But seeing everybody's reaction to it and how they're more interested in just loading it up with 700 games they'll never play or collecting all the mini consoles for their shelf and things like that. uh, There's no way like TurboGrafx Mini is not going to get people excited about TurboGrafx. They're going to buy it. They're going to be like, oh, a TurboGrafx costs $200 and the best games are, you know, $150 for the one I want. Well, probably not. TurboGrafx has some good cheap games, but I don't see it. I think it'll drive some. And here's why I think it's a little different than the, uh, you know, SNES Classic and the NES Classic is that the Turbo is way more obscure. So maybe people haven't had exposure to that. So maybe some collectors who are NES guys and Super NES guys and N64 will pick this thing up and then be like, oh, I I think I would like to have a few of these games. So I think it could have that. I don't think it'll be a huge spike or anything, but I I think we could see that kind of effect there. But that, I mean, but generally I, I agree with what you guys said there. You know, there isn't good indicators that that would be true. So thanks for the question. And uh, last question of the night, Instajack says, advertising is always hyped up. What games exceed your expectations and which ones didn't? And I think this is kind of a hard one for me to answer specifically. Uh, Do you guys have any like games you played and you were just like super disappointed in it when you got it? Uh, yes. Um, I mean, is this like, like... This isn't really a collecting question. There's more like, I think, playing, right? Yeah. I, that's how I'm going to take it. So Yeah, I think um, one that exceeded my expectations uh, was one that we, uh, well, Johnny and I really liked, and um, Tyler refuses to play, is the uh, the remake of uh, Link's Awakening. I think, I, I mean, I thought it was going to be okay, and then it just like blew my pants off. Um, so that was... That's an ex- example of one that definitely exceeded my expectations. Um, I the I love Mass Effect, and Mass Effect Andromeda was definitely a letdown for me. Um, but uh, and then also when it's not even out yet, and I know that it's not going to meet my expectations, is the remake for Final Fantasy VII. Um, I think that's going to be a huge case where like there's a been I mean there's been advertising pushes for that forever, especially on Facebook, like Facebook driven ads. And I just don't, I think it's, I think it's going to be like, it's been in development or like at least in like some sort of like talks of development for so long. It really, uh, liken, I, I liken it to the, uh, Half-Life 3 phenomenon. Like you almost can't put out Half-Life 3 now because no matter what Valve did, even if they were a developer and they're really not anymore, but no matter what Valve did, uh, it would let down a significant portion of the fan base. So I think, um, some games are like, are just stuck like that and i think final fantasy 7 is going to be one too where it's just like no matter what they put out at this point it's been hyped up so much for so many years that they can't possibly meet expectation good answer everyone's gonna love it they're gonna make a billion dollars okay yeah okay. <laughs> so what, what's your answer to this question 
Uh, I will say Scribblenauts had a lot of hype behind it. I remember them going all about like, you could type any word in ever and every Scribblenauts game is garbage and they have bad puzzles and they're not fun. Uh, hot take. I don't know. Does anyone like Scribblenauts? I do not like Scribblenauts. I got through the entire first game by using wings and black hole on every single level. And I realized that's not the fun of Scribblenauts, but when it comes down to the actual puzzle solving, there are so many extremely powerful items you could use to get through levels that it makes the actual puzzle solving not fun. Like you could do like, oh, I could do this in some stupid way, but then it just becomes a sandbox and it gets boring in five minutes. Uh, so Scribblenauts. And then game that met the hype, was that part of the question? Uh, Killzone 2? I am the biggest like PC first person shooter elitist and it had the fake E3 trailer scandal and it was just a huge dumb nightmare and I think Killzone 2 is an awesome game. Like maybe not by modern first person shooter standards. I don't even know anymore. I only played it when it came out, but I really enjoyed it. Okay. Um, let's see. A game that uh didn't meet my expectation. Ooh, god. Uh Fable yeah. Fable, uh, the hype on Fable was so high, and I was so into it, and even if Fable is actually okay, the hype was such that I just hated it. And then, like, I tried Fable 2, and just every Fable is disappointing. And, they're in, you know, they find they find different ways to be disappointing, which I've, I'm just, you know, amazed that they can actually do that. Find different ways to disappoint their audience with every single game. Uh, Mass Effect 3... Not because I felt like the game was bad, but the end was so stupid. It just like... It's great. Just, great ending. It's all good. No, it's not. It's a game about choices and minimized to a binary thing that may or may not make sense. And then they tried this hot fix that was garbage. What? No. Just no. Like, And I loved the Mass Effect series until that moment. Um, I mean, I still Two think... The, um, yeah, like it just... I still think those games are super high quality. Um, from the same developers, uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2, a lot of hype, like, cause Knights of the Old Republic was so cool. And then they just delivered this buggy, bad, incomplete, yeah. you know, bad, blah. Yeah. It, it just wasn't finished. Yeah. The game just was not finished. Yeah. So it's like hard to completely judge that. Um, but a game that exceeded my expectation, and I, I don't know if I've talked about this a lot. So... Portal, not Portal, because I didn't have a lot of expectations for Portal, and I didn't know what it was really, and it came out, and it blew my mind, and I love Portal, and it instantly locked, launched itself into one of my favorite games, right? So, and this is going to be more recency bias, because I, I know there was stuff I was let down with as a kid, but it didn't matter as much, because I, I was just going to play anything. Um but Portal 2 got announced, and I was like, oh, God, I love Portal so much. I don't know if I need a sequel to Portal. And I love Portal 2 so much. I was so shocked. I was just like, please don't mess it up. I just, I don't even, I didn't play it initially. I kind of waited. And then I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to play Portal 2. And I loved it. I loved it even more. So that was, um, that was nice. That was like a nice surprise. So, yeah, Portal 2 really just for some reason, just really got me so much more than I, I expected it to. That so. hidden gem, Portal 2, guys. Yeah, I'm not, I didn't so say that's it was, where we're ending. I oh, did, wait, did not Stephen say answer? It. He did. did. Oh, yeah, you and did. I didn't say it was a hidden gem. I'm I know, just I talking about expectations, right? Because you always expect sequels to be worse. I'm, I'm pretty sure I didn't even play Portal 2 when it came out. 
I like waited for it to be on sale. I'm like, ah, do I need another portal? I, I kind of felt the same way. But yeah, and then you played it. Game, it was honestly. great. Yeah. yeah, it's great. You're just like, oh my god, this is actually it's still it was, great. It's still doing it. Yeah. Well, it it was a lot more portal because the the problem with portal is that literally like ninety percent of that game is way too easy because it has to introduce the player like this is what a portal is. You dummy, you don't understand how this works. And then once you already know how it works, you go through. It's like, oh, this is kind of way too easy. And then Portal 2 is a little bit harder. It's nice. Yeah. It was like a, a really good. I, I, but I do get really tired of like. People who say when they get a sequel and they're like, oh, it's more of the same. If it's more of the same of a great game, is that a bad thing? Like, I don't do Super Mario Brothers. You the sequel to Super Mario World. Oh, just another Mario game. Yeah. Guys, well, I, I mean, I feel the same. I feel the same way when people talk about Mario Kart 8. They're like, Ugh, it's good if you like Mario Kart. Like, yeah, I like. Why do you f-ing think I bought Mario Kart 8? Because I like Mario Kart. This isn't an accident. And it's beautiful and it plays great. And then, like, you know, the version for the Switch came out. People were like, you're going to buy more Mario Kart? Yes. Yes, I am. Same with Smash <laughs> Brothers. Yes, I still like these things. It's great. More Zelda? Yes, please. Thank you. I. You don't need to reinvent the wheel every time. Um, please just get some more F Zero, please, Shigeru. Can we just can we get an F Zero uh, in HD? What's, just what's please? that like a what's that game Red Zone or whatever? That's kind of F Zero S. Did you play that Red Zone? No, I did not. Uh, it was that that was the like the it was a downloadable Switch game that was out at launch, right? Or yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe I'm getting well, that much Red something though. Yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about. It's, it's, I, I would. But is it like a medium it. to low budget F Zero? I want the full Nintendo Polish F Zero experience. I, no, I it feels know. a lot. It feels a lot like Wipeout. Yeah, game. yeah. I mean, I felt like it was pretty. It was doing a pretty go- good job representing the F Zero. If you wanted F Zero. All right. So I, I mean, check it out. It's like a five dollar game. So on the Switch, and you can download it. Um, oh, but there is, I think, one coming out like Super Rare Games or someone. Someone's doing like a limited copy of that a physical one. Okay, that's uh, man, we've gone so long. I don't, I don't want to talk about JJ Games. We did <laughs> it. <laughs> hey guys, JJ Games is gone. They had a clearance sale in which nothing was, everything was zero percent off, and then they put up a notice saying JJ Games will return under new ownership. Did so, they? And uh... yeah. Oh, I didn't see that part. Oh, yeah. I already made a, a funny picture of gogogames.com where GoCollect bought it and put one game up for sale and archived Go- everything else. Did GoCollect buy it? Or is that no. The, oh, I was like, actually, really? JJ uh, confirmed on Reddit that GoCollect was not the buyer of JJ Games. Oh. And he is he is going to uh, also spend more time focusing on price trading, right? So maybe okay. that. Yeah. Well, yeah. So that that was really my big question that came out of this and I'll let the audience sit here and stew on this a little bit. So if JJ games would have officially went under and they decided not to run price charting anymore, uh, then we lose a resource, even though I don't like price charting. Uh, I like it so little that I never get the game, the name, right. You know, it's like video game price charting.com or whatever. Um, and go collect bot game value now. And you know, now we know that they're like, maybe not entirely trustworthy, how do we feel about like the two major points in which people go evaluate games aside from eBay solds uh, and eBay solds aren't as reliable as they used to be because you don't know if people bought stuff under a coupon, 
like what you know or if if they sent out because they have that thing now where you can watch a game and the seller can send you a best offer that's like 15% off so the pricing on completed games isn't exactly as solid as it used to be from eBay and you know we have places like heritage auction and people trying to set prices there like how do we feel like pricing is going to play out like do we feel like Johnny I've got one more if you if you accept a best offer on eBay, the sold listing, your uh, like API things will pick up the f- full original price. Full yeah, yeah, right. It's ridiculous. Right. So that that's what I'm saying. Like, that, there's not like so when people go and quote eBay solds to me, I'm like, mm. I like I'm more informed than you on this. So now it feels bad like trying to haggle from this position, which is another reason I just like to buy things on eBay so I don't have to do this. Um, I know Tyler sympathizes with that. Uh, this has got to be like the best thing that ever happened to you, Tyler. People can come to you and start haggling on the price that they're offering on a game if you just watch it. Uh, yeah, it's pretty great. I like it. I, I <laughs> like. I literally will watch overpriced games now, just all the time, just to see if I'll get like fifteen percent off on it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so, um, anyways, like, and does that mean people are gonna always overprice their games? Anyways, I I let everyone just kind of think about. What's going to happen to the market there? Obviously, if JJ is going to be under new ownership and he's going to focus on price charting, that's a little bit different. Um, but like, I'm just curious in the world, like where we're going to get firm and accurate prices. And Johnny, hear um, me out. A physical published video game price guide. Like maybe, <sighs> maybe DigitPress perhaps gets a, they just start making the guide again. That'll be pretty cool. I I don't think they're going to. No, and the how cool would it be if Digipress became relevant again? Man, oh, oh hey, someone someone will pick up the slack if game value now sucks. Yeah, I I mean I'm just waiting for someone to come in and fill that market and figure out how to start doing that. So I mean a, I a lot of the uh, go ahead. I was just gonna say a lot of the like. Uh, game tracking apps too, like GameEye and stuff. They use JJ or they use uh, price charting as their database too. So like if they, if the if uh, price charting fell, then it would like break a lot of apps too. So like even people who are listening to this right now and thinking like, oh, I have an app for this. There's a very likely chance that the database that your app is pulling from is price charting. Yeah, uh, that's the other thing is so many of these things are incestuous, even if you don't realize it, like some people just use data scrapers and steal that data and and they populate their databases with it. Yeah, I mean, it's just a it's kind of a scary time where the data isn't as stable as I would like it to be. But I don't know what the situation is and I don't think we have a good answer for anyone, but I'll I'll let everyone kind of ruminate on that, um, what the landscape can look like and what are you guys going to do in a, in a world where maybe those things are less solid than they once were? It'll be way more fun. Well, it, you're going to have to make decisions world? on your own. Ooh. You'll have to be responsible for your own financial decisions. But if I buy a $60 game and price charting said it was $70, that means I, I basically made $10. Seven. <laughs> yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's, it's that. I didn't lose old... 60. It's, it's the old, oh, I bought it on sale, so I saved money. You did not save money. You spent money. That's not how that works. Um, all right, guys. Wait, Johnny, can I tell a story about JJ Games? Please? I don't know if you know it, but it's going to get one of our uh, requisite shout-outs into the oh, show. Oh, good, good, good. Go. Uh, 
everywhere people were saying like, oh, look at this, like these three games that are like $130 for no reason when they're $40 games. Like everything you were seeing on JJ Games is what was left after people bought stuff. Like, yes, on one hand, their sale was garbage and basically nothing. On the other hand, our good friend VG Collectaholic uh, put in an order for 600 games uh, before they went out of business. Uh, I think it was like 400 PlayStation, 200 PSP, something like that. So uh, there were some, there were still some deals on JJ Games, guys. God, I feel like I gotta finish my PS1 set before VG Collectaholic does anything to my my system of choice right now. Yeah, we got who? And, uh, uh, Retro Rafa, uh, Max Gaming Power Norway. Who else do we need to mention? Uh, if you don't follow uh, Milwaukee, uh, VG Retro Gaming, um, Joan Bone, SNK 2D Forever, Super Nintendo. Love yeah, you guys. Hear your we... shout outs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Thanks to our else? Patreons who don't pay us. Yeah, Super Sparkster, um, who didn't even mention me in accounts to follow. God, rough, rough, dude. Um, Cat Gamer. So yeah. we, we got a lot of people out there. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, let's let's talk about um, let's talk about if you bought anything cool. Stefan, did you buy anything cool? Uh, oh god, I don't yeah, even what? actually want this answer, Tyler. Let's move on to you. <laughs> Do you, you want my answer more than yep. Stefan's? Yeah, absolutely, because we know what. All Stephen right, let's talk about boring. stamps, Johnny. No games. Oh my this god, this is the answer. You <laughs> this is, you know, Tyler does this thing, and, and he thinks he's funny, where he comes in and he like takes these digs at like Stefan and I for being older than him. And it's like, that's what the kids are doing. And like, he tries to talk like he's hips. And then he comes and immediately contradicts himself when he says something about his stamp collection. Or I bought $300 worth of tops and it was yeah. two tops. Did, wait, did I do that? Yes. They were probably really good tops. But um, guys, join Spin Space. If you're into fidget spinners and high-end metal tops, no one is into fidget spin spinners. Space. Um not not There's those child some fidget tops spinners. that I've whittled that I'm making a lot of money on now. Wait for it. This one's made with a maple press. Cool story, Grandpa. No one cares. <laughs> Great, Tyler. How you are, are you? The worst. Yeah. What is going on? Uh, so I'm gonna be on a budget for at least two or three more months. Um, so I needed something that is research intensive and costs very little money. And guess what that is? That's stamps. PS One. I went through so many stamp catalogs, and I found just about every video game related stamp that there is, oh, which God, has never been kidding. done, as far as I can tell. And I made uh, posted a guide on Video Game Sage. Uh, in celebration of the UK releasing their first ever video game stamps. If you guys want to know uh, what video game stamps there are, uh, about half of the video game stamps ever are just from 2000 to 2002, and they're all Pokemon stamps that came out from minor island countries in Africa. There you go. Okay, and um, are any of these stamps expensive? Uh, so just about every stamp from the past hundred years is entirely worthless. So it's kind of wonderful if you just want to buy some stamps that you think are cool. Okay. Uh, so like literally tens of millions of people were collecting stamps. Cause before like TV, I guess there was just nothing to do. And people are like, I don't know. We'll collect stamps. Okay. Let me go in on this for a second. Do you know how much information there is about stamps? We know, we know nothing about video games. It's, it's embarrassing that we call ourselves hobbyists. There are like tomes 
written about the variants and the specific details of specific individual stamps. They could tell you what plate it's from, what section of what plate, because each of them was individually engraved and has their own distinctive markings, like the little dings, the tabs on the sides of the tamps, stamps like show you where in the sheet they were placed. It is, it's absolutely disgusting how much information there is about stamps. Our hobby sucks. Video games is garbage. Thanks Giant. for that cheery note. All right. Uh, Stefan. Yeah. I, I have never in the history of this podcast wanted to remove my headphones so badly. <laughs> I'm just surprised you kept them on. It was no, it was a it was a it was a show of stamina and force. Sheer will and determination kept me in this podcast. Oh, you didn't want to engage in that stamp conversation, huh? <laughs> no, not even a little. Uh yeah, so um if you if anyone follows my Instagram, you see what I've been buying. I've been buying tons of Nintendo Power Art. That's been my my big thing. Uh, again, I think I mentioned at the top of the show too. I'm doing a art show at the SoCal Retro Gaming Expo, uh, where I will have over 150 pieces of original Nintendo Power Art. So uh, check that out. And that's what all of my time and energy and finances, free finances, has been pouring into. So um, I have been posting pretty much a new piece a day on on uh instagram to check out so uh so yeah um that's what i've been doing yep they are pretty cool and you're doing a nice job framing them so it's gonna it's gonna look real nice so if you got the time you should definitely come and check that out um all right guys i i did it i did it guys i got you finished the reset i did i got super volleyball Woo. woo For for the Turbo Graphics 16, which I actually already own, but I got the box, which means right. I had to buy the whole game because that's just how Turbo Graphics works. Yeah. What'd I, you What'd you pay? Because you made a big stink about not wanting to pay seventy dollars for it. Twenty seven dollars so. in open auction. All right, you won. <laughs> you were a winner. Twenty six eighty eight. If you're yeah, I told you I wasn't going to pay I'm seventy, proud of you. and I I waited till an open auction. Uh, like if you guys don't like realize. And I know Stefan and Tyler know this, but I stick to my guns on prices. I will wait. Like I'll stop bidding if something goes too high. I just stop. I'm like, nope, I'm not, I'm not engaging. It will come back down. I will find it. Um, yeah. I also picked up a uh, Doom, and I forget the guy's name, but it's on Instagram. CWR2 actually tagged me and said, "Hey, this guy's got a Doom jewel case variant for sale for a decent price." And he mentioned me, so I, I picked that up, which I just posted on Instagram. Picked up some other. PS1 stuff because you know trying to finish that set off as I talked about last episode so that's what I did um I did not play much recently no I haven't played anything since our last podcast actually I well I played a little bit more of Star Wars which I beat but that was it and I've been trying to get through The Witcher and I have not done that the yet. first one no not the game the the TV show oh like I okay. feel like I'm like, oh, I, I think I'd like to play The Witcher after watching some of the TV show. And then I'm like, do I really want to engage in The Witcher? Mm. So uh, actually, uh, video game collecting news for The Witcher. The Xbox 360 version of The Witcher 2 shot up from like $5 to $30 overnight because of that TV show. Yeah. Uh, maybe it shot up from like 15 12 to $30. It's coming back down now, too. Yeah. Is it? Okay. Yeah.
Yeah, it's like it. when that like that hot minute when you had to pay like three hundred dollars for a copy of Adventure after uh, after Ready Player yeah. One came out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it'll be fine. I know it was funny. So uh, my, my friend pointed that out to me, and I'm like, oh my god, that makes so much sense for why there are so many more people complaining about The Witcher One not playing exactly like The Witcher Three, even though The Witcher One was built on the Neverwinter Nights engine. And The Witcher One is like PC only, right? Uh, they, I think they port it to consoles. So the PC version had like a really janky over the shoulder view that I would never use. Um, but I think they made a whole game out of that crappy view and made it on consoles. Maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking of the Witcher two, but yeah, they haven't. They're probably going to now. Yeah. I thought the Witcher two and the Witcher, like Witcher three, you can get on like Xbox 360 or no Xbox one. Right. And PS4 at Witcher two, you can get on xbox 360 and there's like a couple of special editions of it or whatever but i didn't think you yeah could get... maybe you're right i don't think the original witcher is on consoles yeah I'm, I'm i'm not sure on that i think what i would because i don't even know any of that because i was like oh man where do i start and i'm like i guess i start at the witcher 2 if i want to play this so uh, and i don't know enough about the witcher so um you guys could tell me if this is something i even need to do uh, or like play, go back and play The Witcher Two, or if I'm better off just like looking at The Witcher Three. If you haven't read the books in the original Polish, you really it it doesn't matter. <laughs> You're not really a fan oh. anyway. That's true. I mean, I haven't even got. I've been working on watching the series for two weeks now, and I haven't finished it yet. Do you know uh, The Witcher is one of the few video game franchises that has its own stamp? I did not. Oh, uh, stop. No. No, you're not dragging us back into this. No. Okay. I don't I've only played The Witcher once. I have no nothing about where to start. Oh, you guys want to do some video game news? There was a really horrendous uh music video released for the Super Mario uh World like um theme park in Japan that's coming out and in Florida. So they released a music video to kind of show what the park will be about. And it's, it's like, if you love that kind of, uh, like weird Japanese pop, then maybe you'll be into this, but it was just like, it was terrible from my perspective. So that's a thing you can go watch. All right. Um, guys, we did it. We, we made it through another long podcast. Uh, I want to start doing more sign offs. Uh, I, I liked just kind of leaving the show with a message, um, but I want, I want you guys to be in there too, um, to have some opportunities of where we just get a platform the last couple minutes of the show to just three to five minutes to talk about whatever we want. We can kind of take some turns. I'm throwing that for the first time. You don't have to have one prepared now. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead with this, uh, this one, and this isn't really a sign off or, uh, of a message like my last one. This is more, uh, about a Patreon. So people have asked about a Patreon for the show. They've requested it. This is not one person or two people. This is um, people have asked because they like the show and I really super appreciate that. And they kind of want to contribute. And I, I talked to, about it with the guys. We're not super opposed to the idea of doing it, but I would like to hear your feedback on, on what that would look like. I don't love the idea of Patreons. I, I support other uh, podcasts and stuff through their Patreons, but I don't ever want their rewards or anything. I just support them because I want them to keep doing what they're doing and hopefully make it a little bit easier for them to do it. I don't want them to change their schedule. I don't feel beholden to them. And like, that's the thing we wouldn't do. If we just suddenly had a Patreon, we wouldn't 
we wouldn't be doing anything necessarily super new. It's not to say that that wouldn't provide us new opportunities, but we're not suddenly going to make a bunch more episodes. We're not going to suddenly have video content or anything. So that's just, I would want to know if, if the podcast basically stayed the same would like, we've been at it for over four years now. It'd be great if I wasn't paying for every episode out of my pocket, but that's what I'm here to do. So please give me some feedback uh, on that. Or uh, like if you wanted, if we kind of did it, like what kind of rewards, because I think I have to build them in that you'd expect. Um, like what makes that, what makes it worth it for you? You Be my market study on this. Do you support other podcasts? Like what do they do for you that you make, that makes it feel worth it? Is it just the content? Because for me, I just, the podcasts I support, I just like them. So I just give them some money to keep doing it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't expect any of their rewards. And usually it gives you the option to opt out. And I always do because go spend that money. Keep it in the podcast. Keep, keep doing what you're doing um, is how I feel about it. So please let us know if you don't feel comfortable telling me or you think I hate, I hate Patreons and I would hate the show if you suddenly did one. Like, let, let us know that, too. I, I'm curious what your honest feedback is on that. I just know I've been approached by multiple people now who just said, look, I love the show, and I just want to be able to give a little back. And, you know, I, I'm i super flattered by that as an idea, and I've, like, really been the, like, turned people away from that. Like, no, just we're just going to do it. But, you know, enough people have come up to me now. It's like, I feel like I have to address it, so. Uh, and ask the show because you would be the people doing that. So please, please give me your honest answers. You can DM me. You can message Stefan or Tyler if you feel better talking to them about it. But please do give me some messages on this. Much appreciated. All right. And on that note, uh, let's talk where where to find us. Guys, where do we find you, Stefan? Uh, on Instagram primarily. Also YouTube at uh, Archon1981, A-R-C-H-O-N-1981. I'm also on reasonably active on Video Game Sage. Um, but if you like want to reach out to me, Instagram is the way to go. Tyler? I'm all those places, too. Go check out my stamp guide on Video Game Sage. I'm default gen. Yep. And I am Johnny underscore Ayuchi just here on Instagram, shadowing Video Game Sage once in a while when I have time to look at websites that aren't eBay where I'm trolling for games. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. That this podcast, wherever those are hosted, you will find me. And, uh, thanks a lot for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.